Hello mortals, this is Satan, and you are listening to Images Everything with that photo gangster himself, Rav Holly. Shut up, Satan. You don't scare me, man, you evil bastard. Get out of here. Get out of here, Satan. This is for us photo pimps. Oh yeah, welcome to another episode of Images Everything. I'm your host, Rob Holly. Looks like we had Satan in the intro today. What the hell? It doesn't matter. We still got it going on right here. That's right. Uh, I am uh, Rob Holly, uh, also aka The Pixel Pimp. And uh, we're going to be talking about photography today. That's my forte anyway. So let's get this hop in. You ready? Let's do it. You're listening to Image Is Everything with that PP guy, the Pixel Pimp, and your host, Rav Holly. It's the photography talk show that, like the Energizer Bunny, just keeps going all day, all night. Are you ready? Let's do this. Our goal is not the victory of might, but the vindication of right. Let's go. to the show. Uh, it is great to have you back with us. Uh, again, I am your host, Rav Holly. Uh, just wanted to uh, let everybody know, it's funny, uh, that intro you just listened to, I actually recorded that uh, approximately about three months ago. I think uh, I recorded that back in uh, November, late November, early December. So uh, I had some work I had some uh, drops done for the show, and I was really excited about getting uh, getting the new intro and changing the intro up a little bit, and uh, never done anything with it until today. So you're just hearing the new intro that was uh, that was actually produced about three months ago. So took a little break from the podcast, uh, but uh, actually back now, and uh, going to try to get it fired back up again and going again. Uh, I had to take a step back. I got really busy in November of last year, which I uh, was expecting somewhat, but then wasn't expecting uh, it to be as busy as it actually was in November. Uh, And the podcast, I just kind of got it up and running. It only been going for a couple of months after I closed my studio in Long Beach. I just uh, really figured I was going to have all the time in the world to be uh, focusing and concentrating on the podcast. And, uh, and then I got extremely, extremely busy and, you know, customers and, uh, 
unfortunately, customers and money come first. And uh, the podcast, you know, it's mostly a hobby. Uh, it's not really a, a major ma- money maker. So I basically do this for the fun of it and uh, hopefully uh, to give you guys a little bit of entertainment. Uh, and, you know, I don't know if the entertainment value is very high on this podcast, but hey, you know, I'm working on it. Uh, I'm new at this. I'm not a professional broadcaster by any means. So just kind of winging it, seeing what I can do. You know, I learned all this audio stuff on my own. I just spent here. I had been so long since I had really fired my mics up and stuff. I just spent like an hour and a half. No, it wasn't that long. It's probably been an hour. I was having some major audio difficulty and unlike photography. <clears throat> yeah, well, you <clears throat> excuse me, I actually like photography back, uh, you know, when I started, you know, it's like you guys out there that are beginning photographers when something goes wrong and you don't, you know, you're not completely confident in what you're doing, you know, it can kind of snowball and your mind can start messing with you and playing games on you. And, you know, basically I just had some adjustment issues. I do believe to be begin with but unfortunately like an idiot I started unplugging stuff because I thought I had uh, plugged something in wrong or something at some time and uh, so anyway finally got everything uh, plugged in finally got everything fired up and uh, from what it's looking like I think the sound is pretty okay I'd have to let you be the judge of that but hopefully uh, we're not spiking any so uh, uh, very 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 rarely so we'll do some adjustments in audacity and try to clean it up a little bit but uh i believe we're back and i believe we're broadcasting so again welcome back to the show um another reason i took a step back was you know i kind of did this kind of by the seat of my pants and uh you know i just wanted to hurry up and get something going get something up there and, uh, you know, I had a lot of trouble coming up with a name for the show. And so I just went with this images, everything. Um, and back, uh, back in the day, I used to have, a a banner on my website way back in the day. And it was, uh, gosh, it wasn't images. It, it was called, uh, it's in the image. That was my banner title. That was my tagline was it's in the image. And, uh, I kind of wish I'd have went with that now, but for some reason I got it turned around and made it images everything and I don't even know where that came from uh but basically you know I've gotten a lot of email people going what are you talking about images everything you're a photographer it's about you know it's about the images we we create and that's actually very much true that was basically what I was trying to portray but images is everything just didn't sound and it just doesn't flow as well as images everything so and uh, you do have to understand that, you know, you got to sell yourself as well. Um, you know, there's a there's a big thing. Uh, I guess first topic would be uh, there's a thing, you know, uh, with a photographer, uh, Peter Lick. Uh, you know, there's a big controversy going on whether he staged this or whatever. But he just sold one of his uh, fine art pieces for six point five million dollars a few months ago and it made national news i've uh, posted uh you know i've posted several articles that i've read about peter lick and uh, the photo junkie group uh, our photo junkie group on facebook if you're into photography if you're beginning photography if you're an old pro or wherever you are in your in your photography journey if you want a cool group to join look us up at photo junkie on facebook we'd love to have you in there we talk about everything from uh, gosh, we've got <clears throat> we've gotten in we've gotten into hot debates over sugar daddies and sugar babies to uh, you know Peter Lick's six point five million dollar 
most expensive photo ever sold art piece. So yeah, we talk about everything and you're very welcome to join us in there. Uh, but anyway, uh, back to, uh, what I was talking about. Uh, I just, uh, you know, I didn't, uh, I didn't have a good grasp on the real, uh, format I wanted for this show. So I just was kind of winging it, uh, went with the images, everything, um, you know, and, and, you know, what Peter Lick has done is he is actually selling himself. You know, he's marketing himself. He's marketing his name. And, um, you know, the, the man has either 15 or 18 galleries. I actually read, I'm not sure. Um, but it's something about 15 or 18 galleries, somewhere in that estimate. Uh, you'd have to read one of the articles to find out for sure. But, and it's in some of the most prime real estate in the United States. We're talking Vegas. Uh, you know, there's one in the Galleria at Houston. Uh, one of, uh, what I, which I didn't even know that one of, uh, our uh, group members, um, let us, let me know. Holly, uh, hi Holly. Shout out to Holly from, uh, photo junkie group. Yeah, she was, uh, she said that she had actually been in one of his galleries in the Houston Galleria. Uh, evidently he's got one in Caesar's palace. He's got, uh, one in one of the other casinos. I can't remember which one it was, but I remember Caesar's palace. His one, his first one was in Hawaii, I guess. And initially it failed. And then, uh, I guess he got it figured out and, uh, got it started back up. So, but the, you know, the thing that really I stood up and took notice of was the, the simple fact that the man is marketing his name, which is something from years past, uh, you know, like Annie Libowitz, uh, you know, Herb Ritz, um, Helmut Newton, all of those photographers had cool names. And um, Andy Warhol, let's, you know, he's an artist. All of these artists had really cool names. And they marketed their names. They didn't just market their art. They marketed who they were and, uh, you know, what they did and what they stood for. And so back in those days, you know, they were somewhat rock stars themselves. For, you know, what we would look like as rock stars, the photographers. Uh, you know, Hunter S. Thompson, who's one of my favorite authors, you know, he was a rock star. He was a maverick. He was a pioneer. He was a journal or a writer, a journalist, you know, um, that was just writing words, you know what I mean? And he ended up being a rock star himself. He was on, gosh, every talk show that you could imagine. He was on David Letterman. I've seen him on everything, and he was just an artist. What did he do differently? How many writers that nobody has ever even heard of them or know who the hell they are? Why is that? Because they just write a book. They have their publishing company promote it, and that's about all there is to it. And the difference with Hunter S. Thompson is he's, he was, you know, that's why I respected Hunter so much is because we're kind of cut from the same cloth because Hunter S. Thompson was 100% badass, 100% rebel. He did shit his way and he didn't make any excuses or any apologies for what he did. He liked to do drugs. He liked to drive. He liked to drink and drive. He liked to smoke cigarettes. He liked to shoot guns and he didn't give an F about anybody or what anybody thought about him. He did whatever Hunter wanted to do. And he thought you were a douchebag for even thinking that, uh, he shouldn't be doing what he wanted to do. So, you know, the man, you know, he, he, 
covered the Hells Angels. You know, he got beaten up by one of the Hells Angels. You know, um, if you haven't read any of Hunter's stuff, it's absolutely just mesmerizing. Uh, you know, and Johnny Depp uh, was a good friend with uh, Hunter S. Thompson. And I'm just a huge fan of Hunter S. Thompson. He's my favorite author. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, you know, and so back with back to Peter Lick. Sorry, uh, I'm rambling or I get sidetracked. Uh, especially talking about Hunter S. Thompson, but anyway, back to Peter Lick. You know, Peter Lick is doing that himself, and it's and it is what I do myself. I, you know, and you know the thing about it is, is I catch a lot of flack for it. You know, I got a whole gosh, I got a whole fan club of haters. Yeah, I call them fans because, uh, you know, they are they're more rabid than your fans. You know, your fans are gonna like your stuff and go, oh, that's great, but man, your haters will really pay attention to what you're doing and they will stock every move that you're making on social media. They'll send you hateful emails. They'll do all of that stuff. And I've got a whole little groupie of them. And uh, it's not a bad thing. You know what I mean? Uh, I can't help it that they don't like me. You know, some people don't like me. Not everybody's going to like me. And hey, I'm okay with that. So if you don't like me, that's cool. You know, uh, I don't have anything against you that I think know of, but you know, it's just, you know, everybody, we can't like everybody. And if you don't like me, that's cool. Um, but I don't make any excuses either for what I do. I just kind of do what I do and keep moving forward, uh, with, uh, Peter Lick. That's what he's doing. And he's also marketing his name and I do that as well. And the problem is, is when you have those haters, they can actually paralyze you with fear because it's hard to take that scrutiny, but you just got to keep moving forward. You have to keep moving forward with anything you do. Uh, a problem with a lot of people today is, um, I've been taking this uh, 67 day online course. Uh, it's a business course. Uh, it's not really self-help. It's, it's a lot of business stuff. And, uh, it's a guy named Ty Lopez and, uh, he's got a, house up in the Hollywood Hills. And he's kind of one of these new online gurus. He, you know, I kind of pegged him on Twitter as the new Tony Robbins. And, uh, I signed up for his 67 day course and, uh, I'm just in the beginning stages of it. Stage two, actually, or step two, I should say. And Hey, I can't say any, anything negative about it. I actually love it. Uh, you know, and the funny thing is, is I go, he puts out all of these free YouTube, all these free YouTube videos and the man's a multimillionaire already. You know, he's, I don't know how much he's worth, probably 12, $15 million. He has an eight, eight bedroom house in the Hollywood Hills. So if you know anything about that property, it's expensive. The man owns, you know, he's a single guy. He owns a Lamborghini. He owns a Ferrari. So he's doing pretty well as an investor, which is what he does. And so I like to take notice of people like that. And I like to try to integrate what smart business people are doing in their business with my business. And, uh, for, you know, a lot of people, you know, when I introduce myself or they ask me what I do, I say I'm a photographer, but the secret to my photography, this is what a lot of people, all you kids that email me, not kids, but you know, all of you guys that email me, I get so many messages and so many emails. I can't keep up with them, but for all of you people that are always asking me, all, all, especially you younger guys, younger, I don't want to say kids, but you know, I mean, I've gotten messages from 15, 16 year old kids to 50 year old kids asking me, you know, what do you do? You know, how did you get started? Like what, what is the secret? 
you know, and, and the most important advice that I can give you is, is it's not really a secret. It's just, uh, you know, it's, it's having that entrepreneurial spirit, uh, because when you're a photographer, you work for yourself, but you're an entrepreneur more than anything. If you're not an entrepreneur, I just don't think you're going to make it as a photographer. If you're just a photographer, if you're just an artist, you're always going to struggle. Now, I'm not going to lie to you and tell you that there hasn't been times in my career that I haven't struggled. We all will. I don't think anybody just shoots right to the top. But that's part of the great thing about being a photographer is the struggle because you're you just keep moving forward and you're looking for that payoff. You know what I mean? And you don't give up. You know, that's the main thing. If you're doing photography as a career and you love it, then you just keep moving forward. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have people that don't like you. You're going to have things that don't work out. You're going to have shoots that, you know, you want to pull your hair out, but you just keep moving forward forward. You invest, you've invested in this. So the one thing for all of you very new photographers just starting out, what can I, you know, what can I, the question I have for you is, are you serious about your photography? Because you have to be serious about it. Uh, You know, with like, I'm going to, rehash some of this stuff that I've been going through with my course with Ty because I've you know the man's got video after video on YouTube that's free to watch so if you don't want to do like me and get into his paid course uh, you can actually take or you know you can get on YouTube his name is Ty Lopez and um, that's T-A-I-L-O-U-L-O-P-E-Z L-O Lopez L-O-P-E-Z yeah you can get on YouTube and uh, just search for him. And he's got a ton of good information. The man reads one book a day. That's another piece of advice I can give you guys. Uh, uh, make sure you keep learning. You know, invest in yourself. Uh, you know, so, so many of us photographers are so carried away with gear. We all think, oh, if I just get the next camera, if I just get the next lens, if I get the next best strobe set, I have, you know, I have alien bees now, but man, when I get to, when I can upgrade these alien bees to Ellen Chrome or, um, you know, uh, uh, gosh, what's in the, um, pro photo, that's the number one. If I can upgrade these strobes to pro photo and have a $6,000 strobe set with a pack and everything. Yeah. My career is going to go to the next level. Let me tell you something. It's not about the gear as much as I love gear as the next guy. I love gear because I love gear. Like I like my, like I love my 66 Mustang. I'm not going to get anywhere any different than somebody that's driving a Prius, but I love 66 Mustang. It's kind of the same thing with cool photography gear. It's just cool shit, but it really isn't going to make you any more, that much more leaps and bounds in photography. Uh, you know, the one thing I can tell you is, 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 well, not one thing I keep saying that, but one, one thing I want to tell you is here's a perfect example about two months ago, three months ago, I did a, a YouTube video. There's a YouTube review video on this case that I ordered, uh, and it's called a Pelican 1510 SC. 
and uh, you can look it up and you can look that up uh, Rav Holly on YouTube, which is Rav Photos, but you can just Google my, or just search my name. You'll find my YouTube channel. And I did a review on this Pelican case. That's a Pelican 1510 SC. And, uh, I can tell you, I didn't do, I did an open boxing. I'm sorry. It wasn't really a review. It was an open boxing. It was a boxing and video. Excuse me. It was a boxing and video when I very first got it. And, um, so I opened it up lot, you know, kind of live on the inner, or, you know, wasn't live on the, when I put it on the video, but the whole thing was live. I hadn't opened it. I did the unboxing and kind of checked it out. Noticed that my D 700 with a body grip on it did not fit in the thing. So I was going to have to ungrip my D 700 to use it. Long story short, I paid about $300 for this case. I think, you know, like it was crazy. It was like a week later, you could get it on Amazon for like two seventy five. But I think I paid three twenty five for it if I want to, if I remember right. And um, maybe it was just three hundred, but it was right in that range. And um, so I, I, I got it in. I opened. The, I did the unboxing video, and uh, I, I left my uh, Kessler backpack to go to this badass pelican case right and i've had the pelican case now for a couple of months a few months uh, i did a shoot in vegas with it uh, gosh i've done actually several shoots with it come to think of it uh, i've started shooting some real estate so it goes with me to every real estate shoot now i'm not going to tell you that it doesn't fulfill its purpose and it doesn't make my life easier because i own four digital slrs and um uh, before I had this, they were kind of scattered. I had one in one bag, one in another bag, one over here on the shelf, one on my desk and, you know, and, and all the chargers form and everything and everything just kind of always was, I was looking for a charger. So it was just unorganized and I didn't like it. And I couldn't find a backpack that I could put enough of my camera bodies, you know, with three full camera sets of gear in. So the Pelican 1510, fulfilled that for me. So I'm not going to say it doesn't fulfill its purpose, but I could have still gotten by with a backpack that I carried two camera bodies in and all of my lenses. But let me tell you that the real reason I went and I wanted this Pelican case, and this is just keeping it real. The real, the, the biggest benefit of this Pelican case is no BS. Here's the secret to my Pelican case. And the reason I bought it was nothing more than presentation. And that is the solid truth. It's the presentation of pulling out that $300 Pelican case, having all my cameras in there, having it organized. It looks very professional. Now, granted, it's waterproof, you know, up down to 30 feet. Uh, If you drop it in the ocean with the, you know, it'll float. Uh, you know, there's, there's several benefits to having this Pelican case and the 1510 is a, you know, you can actually board an airplane with it. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's approved by the FAA that, uh, you know, it's, it's the size for a carry on. So you can actually carry it on the plane with you, which I haven't flown with it yet. I'm, I'm looking forward to that actually. I don't know. It's pretty heavy though. So, but I'm not going to check it cause I never check my camera gear when I fly. But anyway, it is an amazing piece of equipment. It's made my life a lot easier. It fits right in the back of my Land Rover. So the whole thing looks very aesthetically cool when I pull up to a gig and I open that big door up and I've got a whole back 
end of a truck full of Pelican cases. I enjoy the way that presentation looks and it looks very professional and it really makes me look like I must know what I'm doing. Right. And so, and that is a lot. And when I talk about every, it's, it's in the image, uh, you know, or images, everything that is kind of what I'm talking about. I mean, it's presentation. And when you're working for these bigger, higher paying clients, it's all about the presentation and your image is part of that presentation. You know, if you pull up, um, you know, if you're trying to get like high dollar gigs, let's just say you're trying to shoot for an Applebee's. You're just trying to get an Applebee's ad for your local Applebee's, not even the national Applebee's changes. Let's just say you're trying to get an ad. There's there, they put out, you know, uh, for an ad for just for a local Applebee's, they want you to just shoot a picture of a couple, you know, at a table for their menu or whatever. You go screeching up to this Applebee's in like an old beater car. Uh, you pull out like a, you know, like a backpack that it's not even a photography backpack. You know, what kind of presentation is that? You know, they're automatically going to lose faith in you before you even get your feet in the door. So, you know, as, as, as shallow as it sounds, images everything, yes, images something. And being a photographer, having a professional image when you're dealing with clients will pay off. So, you know, that's one reason I invested in a Pelican case. It wasn't as much, I had to have a Pelican case for all of my gear or for my cameras is, uh, you know, as it was presentation because I like the way it's presented and it impresses customers. So, you know, I, I've worked, you know, shooting some very high end property already and, uh, you know, dealing with these homeowners, I'm just getting started in real estate. I really don't even know what I'm doing. I'm just kind of dabbling in it. Rob Mulligan can tell you, I don't even know how to shoot a vertical, uh, shout out to Rob, uh, another photo junkie group member, uh, you know, and, and he's an expert at, you know, he's been doing it for over two years and he's got a whole website devoted to his real estate photography. And he's what I consider, you know, a real expert. He's making a living doing real estate. So, you know, he knows what he's doing. Uh, but when I pull up, nobody thinks I don't know what I'm doing. Uh, you know, when I pull my gear out of my car and it's not that I don't know what I'm doing, but, um, like any other type of photography, there's going to be, you know, things in real estate that you don't, you know, that, you know, there's going to be, um, rules of real estate photography, like your verticals, make sure your verticals, you know, shooting on a tripod, keeping everything, you know, vertical, everything. And, you know, the last house I shot, I handheld most of the stuff, you know, even though um, I even shot at natural light. All these guys are shooting six or seven speed lights and I was just shooting, you know, I opened all the windows up. It was a very bright, airy house, you know, and I just, uh, I didn't even, I, you know, I didn't even have to put my, uh, you know, to get sharp images. I didn't even have to tripod my camera. I just started nailing the shots. And, uh, excuse me, I had to get a drink. And, uh, it, you know, it worked out perfect. Uh, everybody was very, uh, impressed. The realtor was very impressed. The, uh, homeowner, she was ecstatic. Uh, she was, a she's not, I'm not going to say an elderly lady. She's an older lady. 
who used to work for CBS for years, and her daughter is a huge real estate broker up in San Francisco selling multi-million dollar properties, and it's her mom's house that is being sold, and uh, she has another house in the Hollywood Hills, and this one was in Joshua Tree, California, and uh, her house in the Hollywood Hills is, she's Got, she's getting older, so she's got to get rid of one house, so she decided to sell the one in Joshua Tree, keep her house in Hollywood. And um, her house in Hollywood's over a $2 million property. And uh, so we shot the pictures. She sent them to her daughter, and her daughter's like, oh, my God, who's your photographer? And uh, come to find out, you know, all of the photographer that she's been using in San Francisco, stuff, they're all shooting HDR, which, you know, Rob and, you know, a lot of these other real estate photographers are all shooting HDR and Rob suggested that I shoot HDR. And I've had a couple of real estate people ask me like, how do you get your photos to look so natural and clean? And I'm like, well, I don't really know. I just know that a lot of photographers are shooting HDR these days and I don't shoot HDR. They don't even know what that means. They're just kind of looking at me like what? But, you know, I just, I guess that's all. I don't know what else it could be. Uh, you know, so it's just, they look natural. They, you know, cause I'm not, you know, I'm adjusting them a little bit, a little bit of camera, you know, I mean a little bit of color adjustment in camera raw, but other than that, I mean, they're just like straight out of the camera. I'm not doing a whole lot of heavy editing to them, uh, just doing some color adjustment and that's about it. And that's the way they go out. So they're very natural, you know? Um, so I'm pretty pleased with that. But anyway, back to uh, back to Peter Lick. I keep getting off that subject, but back to Peter Lick. The man is a genius because he's not just marketing his artwork. He's also marketing his name. And he's making his name valuable. And that's something that I continuously work on myself is my branding. Your branding is very, very important. And so many photographers don't think anything about it. They think it's all about the images they take and it should be about the images they take, but unfortunately it's not because people like working with other successful people. Uh, you know, if, if you come off like a rock star photographer, people are going to take notice of that to somebody who just puts their pictures out there and hides, you know, on their Facebook. Um, uh, you know, there's a few photographers that I see from time to time. And one of them is actually very, he does very well, but he's kind of controversial. Uh, another one, you know, there's several photographers that just kind of put their models, you know, but they don't really put themselves out there. You can't even find a picture of them hardly on their Facebook. Uh, so they're not marketing themselves at all. You know, they're just, you know, they're just marketing or, you know, they're just put, putting their images out there. And, um, and I really believe, I'm not sure that either one of these guys, I know one of them, uh, is not a full-time photographer and I'm not sure that the other one is, he's got an apparel clothing thing, uh, that he's marketing. So that may be why he doesn't portray his image a lot or his, his self or put his self out there where, you know, where you can actually see who he is. But if you're going to do this as a career, you need to market your name and yourself because I'm trying to put a moonscape series together and I'll probably be shooting tomorrow night because I only shoot during very close to full moons or full moons and I'm trying to get this uh, it's my moonscape series I'm trying to get them shown in galleries in Palm Springs I'm working on that I've talked to some people had some meetings so it's looking promising when I put my art in there to value that art 
people are going to go, who the hell is Ralph Holly? And if I don't have any kind of footprint on the web uh, of, you know, who I am, I mean, I've got, I don't have my own Wikipedia page, but I've worked on projects. So my name is in Wikipedia. Uh, you know, I've got a pretty substantial following on the internet, on my uh, social media footprint. So, you know, it that makes my value of my name go up. And I work on my branding on my name. Uh, And if you really want to see a photographer, you can look at my stuff and see what I do. But I'm not, I'm by far the best from it. But I do work on it. But if you want to see a photographer that I say is a master, she is bar none. I don't know that I've seen another photographer that is any more eloquently uh, masterful at branding her name and herself is Jasmine Starr, the wedding photographer. She does an amazing job of this. Uh, if you look at her website, it's just, you know, it's kind of, it's her, her website is a Pelican case. Uh, you know, it's, it's, it's amazing. Her website's great. Her blog's great, you know, and she, you know, I've watched videos of like a few videos and interviews of her and the, <clears throat> the woman hadn't picked up a camera until 2006 and she attended a wedding and uh, caught the bug for wedding photography and decided she was going to drop out of law school and do that. And her mom, I guess, got cancer or got sick or something. So she had to take care of her mom and she decided she was going to be a photographer. So in 2006, she picked up a camera and she, now she's one of the top wedding photographers in the world. Amazing. You know, I don't know how much she charges for a wedding, but I imagine it's probably five or six thousand dollars on the low end. And she's probably shooting three to five weddings a month, if not more. I really don't know. I have no idea what her, you know, quantity is of how many weddings she shoots a year, but I'm sure she's doing pretty well. So she brands herself. She uh, promotes her name. Uh, and, and most, you know, I really think most photographers don't do that. They put their name up on their social media, but they really don't put themselves out there, you know, to build a character, you know, uh, like I have like an online persona. Uh, if you people that know me in person and they, they see my Facebook stuff and I kind of have antics and stuff that I, that I play with on Facebook. And I basically learned that on uh, MySpace. There was, you know, there was a few, um, you know, kind of rock star people, you know, back in the day when MySpace first, you know, when it first came online back in 2004 and I was beta testing for it. And I took notice of these different characters like Tila Tequila, uh, she was one, you know, she was one of the big females. Tila Tequila was big on MySpace. You had Dane Cook. I never heard of Dane Cook until MySpace. He blew up on MySpace. Um, gosh, there was several, you know, there were several people that weren't known that made a name for themselves with MySpace. So I kind of, kind of, um, and there was another one. There was a singer called Mickey Avalon. And, uh, so he's very like, he's kind of that trashy, you seventies know, looking guy, but he's kind of faded out now. But back in 2005, probably 2005, 2006, he was blowing up. I thought he was going to be a huge, huge megastar like, uh, Iggy Azalea. But for some reason he kind of died out him and dirt nasty, both, uh, you can look them both up. Mickey Avalon and dirt nasty. They were they were a hoot, you know, they were, they were funny on MySpace, but I kind of just kind of watched what they did and kind of mimicked what they did. And, 
you know, put these controversial posts out there, you know, about whores and blow and, and, you know, all this stuff. And people took notice, you know, and when MySpace kind of died out, I had over 10,000 MySpace friends, which, you know, that's, that's another topic. That's something else we could get into is like, what really, what real good is social media friends and what real good do likes do? You know, we're all posting our best content, trying to get as many likes as we can get. Well, let me tell you something. When you get that electric bill in the, in the mail and you open it up, uh, you can't really fill out a check with likes and tell them, Hey, you know, I got like 400 likes last week. (laughs) Nobody cares, you know, when it comes to paying bills or money, uh, you know, basically all those likes are doing is stroking our egos, you know, and a lot of photographers, including myself, you know, our egos, it's hard to keep them in check because they're just too heavy. You know, they're, you can't even carry them in a wheelbarrow because they're so big. So, and I'm just as guilty as the next guy. So, Uh, but as far as likes, they don't pay the bills. They're fun. You know, social media is fun. I'm a social media whore. You know, um, I very, I don't, you know, just like the entrepreneur thing, I don't really put it out there that I'm a social media marketer and I, you know, I don't call myself a social media marketer. You can look at any of my stuff and when it comes to social media marketing, I don't have anything. I've never told anybody and I was recently talking to somebody and they were looking, they had looked through my social media and they're like, man, you're like a brilliant social media marketer. I'm like, what? I'm not even a social media marketer, dude. I'm like a photographer and I just kind of do my thing. They're like, no, dude, you look at your stuff. You're really marketing yourself through social media. And I want to copy that. And I said, well, you're welcome to, man. I said, I don't really know that it's working that well. Uh, You know, I'm not getting like 100 likes on Facebook for my stuff. You know, if I get 20, I'm pretty lucky. I think, uh, excuse me, I'm drinking uh, tea. I think if, uh, you know, I think the guys, I see people, you know, I mean, the, the, the celebrity genre on Facebook, you know, they're getting thousands of likes. I see some of these models, you know, they're getting 42,000 likes and these actresses like Jessica Alba and stuff, you know, that they're, you know, but I don't know, you know, and that's what he was telling me. He's going, well, you know, just regular people are social media marketers and, you know, you don't have to have this huge following. And I'm like, well, to me that just, you know, if you're, social media footprint, you know, you should have a huge following if you're going to call yourself, title yourself a social media marketer. So I've never done that, but in essence, I guess to an extent I am, and that's going to bring me to my next topic, uh, for the format of the show is, or the, not the format of the show, but for the, uh, subject matter of the show is, there's a new social media, there's a new social media platform out there. And anybody that's following me on social media knows I've been a big cheerleader for it now for a week. Little uh, started on February 15th. So got a couple of weeks, three weeks now. Uh, so it's called TSU. It's spelled TSU. And, um, it's actually pronounced Sue, like S-U-E. The, the T is actually silent. And it's a Japanese for uh, meeting. I can't remember exactly what the definition is, but it's about, you know, the way it should be or 
doing things legitimately in the way it should be or something like that. You'd have to look it up. But uh, it's it's spelled Sue. So uh, the next subject is the TSU scam uh, and review because I've been using it now for a little while. So uh, there's not, you know, there's a lot of people flocking to it. There's a statistic out there, uh, a thing that, you know, it shows that Facebook, it took them, gosh, I can't remember what the, the, I can't remember what the thing says. Let me look at my computer here. I think it's like Facebook. It took 10 months for them to get 2 million viewers or 2 million users. And I guess Sue is at approximately a little over 3 million in five months. So as far as Facebook is concerned, Sue is actually way ahead. Let me see here. I'm pulling it up now. Okay, TSU Facts or Sue Facts. I always say TSU. I don't know why I do that. Sue Facts. It took Facebook 10 months to reach 1 million users. Sue as it Sue is at 3 million users in 5 months. But uh there's a lot of uh resistance to it. You know, there's a lot of you know, I'm I, you know, I'm not I'm excited about it. I mean, people think I'm probably more excited than I actually am uh, when they look at all the cheerleading I'm doing on uh, Facebook and, you know, spamming people. And I'm not really a spammer, but I put a bunch of stuff up about Sue and uh, I'm excited about it. And, you know, when it comes down to it, this for me, this is what it is for me. Um, Is it a scam? I don't I don't really think so. I've actually talked to Sebastian, who is the owner of uh, Sue. And, uh, he's actually made a post. He liked one of my pictures or, or no, I'm sorry. He liked one of my quotes that I made up about, uh, uh, Sam Smith being, uh, boy George's son at the Grammys. Uh, and he liked that. He laughed. He thought it was pretty funny. Uh, and so, so what is Sue? Sue is basically a clone of Facebook. I don't know. You know, I tell everybody that if I see, if Sue was to die, it would probably be because Facebook decided to sue them because it really is like a, uh, it's not an identical twin of Facebook, but man, it is as close as I've ever seen. And from what I understand, I could be wrong on this, but I'm pretty certain that um, Facebook has uh, trademarked their timeline. So I definitely could see a lawsuit coming up uh, for Sue, uh, getting sued by Facebook. But hopefully that doesn't happen. So is Sue a scam? A lot of people are, you know, very pessimistic and, you know, very negative. And, you know, that's the society we live in. And let me tell you something. I'm getting off topic again. But look, this whole podcast is kind of geared towards this right here, talking about my haters, talking about the people that, you know, are always dragging you down and talking crap and this and that. Look, if you're a pessimist and you're a photographer, you're in the wrong career. Number one, that's the bottom line. If you are a hater, if you are out there hating on other photographers, and if you look at another photographer's work, and if you don't get inspired by that, you get jealous or you know, you get animosity or, 
you know, you just, you know, it just eats you up inside when you look at another photographer and they're doing well and you think they're doing better than you are. If that's you, put the camera down and walk away. You are in the wrong profession. And there's lots and lots and lots of photographers out there like that. And when I got in this game, it was 96% of photographers were like that. They were stingy. Everything was trade secrets. They didn't want to tell you anything. They didn't want anybody finding out how they were doing stuff. They didn't want anybody finding out how they were dodging, burning their film, you know, and it's just, and then, and then they were just nasty to each other. And you still get that with photographers. I mean, it's a perfect example. The Peter Lick, the Peter Lick story when, you know, the articles, when it was broken, when it came out. So there was articles in uh, the New York Times, I think last week and maybe Newsweek as well. But I know the New York Times, I read that one. And uh, the first one was, you know, this kind of blown up thing about, you know, Peter Lick is in his hundred thousand square foot main office gallery studio whatever it is warehouse in vegas and he gets a little perturbed because he says he's the most he's the most famous photographer on the planet right now and it perturbs him a little because you don't know who he is and you know it just made it kind of made him sound like an uh, egotistical prick which that's okay a lot of photographers are But then after that article was done, they came back and did another article, like just completely tearing him down and annihilating him, talking about everything he's doing is false. It's fake. It's a lie that, you know, he concocted this whole thing because it was a private bidder that supposedly uh, or it was a a private buyer that bought this phantom or whatever the name uh, phantom may be the color version. He's got two different versions of this photo that he sold but the black and white one was the one that went for 6.5 million dollars and so then the the times came back and was talking about oh you know it's it's unlikely that he actually sold it for that much unfortunately people that is the society that we live in today is a bunch of naysayers a bunch of negative nannies you know my grandmother always told me don't be a negative nanny nobody likes a negative nanny There's so many negative people out there right now. So many closed-minded people. If you're going to be an entrepreneur, or if you're going to be a photographer, so that automatically pretty much makes you an entrepreneur, that can't be you. You're never going to succeed like that. You're going to be the person that misses every amazing opportunity. You might get lucky, but more than likely you're not because... When that opportunity knocks on the door, you're going to go, bah, I've already been around the block. Uh, you know, I didn't fall off. I didn't fall off the wagon last or I didn't fall off the turnip truck last night. So no better. You know, if that's you, you're going to always lose because you're always going to be too pessimistic, pessimistic, mystic to take a chance. And me, I'm not like that. I'm open minded. Now, the why am I on this Sue kick so hard? People are asking me and I've gotten some, you know, Jens Puka has uh, messaged me and, you know, a lot of people have messaged me asking me about what the deal is with Sue. And I've already got 35, 36 people in my network and 500 friends. I haven't even been on there a month yet and over 200 followers, pushing 300 followers. Here's the reason that I'm on the Sue bandwagon. The number one reason. Are you ready? 
In 2006, I started my YouTube channel. 2006. It's 2015. 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15. What is that? Nine years ago? Going on nine years ago? I think I started it in September of 2006. And there were several people telling me at that time that YouTube was going to be the next big thing. And people were going to, regular everyday people were going to be able to make money from YouTube. And I just laughed. I remember laughing and being one of those negative nannies going, are you out of your fucking mind? Nobody's going to be able to make money doing their own videos. Nobody's even got video equipment to do anything like that. The only people that are going to make money off of that are production companies maybe that can produce their own videos. Boy, was I wrong. If you don't know who Jenna Marbles is, J-E-N-N-A-M-A-R-L-B-E-L-E-S or what? Marbles. Just like the marbles you play shoot marbles. Jenna Marbles. Okay, when I first moved to California back in 2006, or late 2006, early 2007, I think I was in Huntington Beach still. I know I was. I was in Huntington Beach when I initially had contact with her. She was a go-go dancer in Boston. And uh, she was working for some bar or something as a promo model. And they were supposed to send her out to California, out to Los Angeles for some convention or something. And I can't remember. I think uh, I think I was a fan of hers on my, I think it was MySpace maybe. I can't remember. But, you know, she was this bar stool babes or something. I can't remember what it was she was promoting. And, I, and, that, and I'm, that could be completely off the mark when it comes to the name of the thing. I just remember she had, she was like this promotional model for a local bar or local brand of something I think in Boston, but they were going to send her to this convention or something in LA or in Southern California. And we talked about doing a shoot. Long story short, that never happened. Something happened with her roommate or something. I can't remember, but evidently I don't, or whatever it was, I don't think she made the trip to California. Something happened. It fell through. And I think she was devastated about it, if I remember right. can't remember exactly. It's been a minute. Yeah, it had been a minute. But anyway, she, um, sorry, I had to take a quick break there and grab something to drink. Uh, she's She was a go-go dancer out there. And um, she didn't make it to California. So I just kind of, you know, I kind of forgot about it. And then lo and behold, uh, in 2010, I think it was July, maybe the summer of 2010, um, I was, it was on Facebook already and I see a video on somebody's page or somewhere. I don't remember exactly where it was, but I see a video and I'm like, Oh my God, that looks like that girl from Boston. Long story short, I'm going to get detailed into this, but long story short, I opened up that video and it was a video called you can look it up now if you haven't seen it. I think everybody, I think most people on the planet in the United States at least have seen it. But if you haven't, the the video is entitled "How to Trick People into Making Making Them Think You're Good Looking," and all it is is a little it's a little uh, shortcut video, hard cut video of her, you know, just doing you know like a maybe a five minute somewhat comedy bit, and uh, it was brilliant. It went viral. Uh, it got millions of views. I think it got. I think it did a million or two million views the first couple of days, the first weekend it was online. 
long story short, again, uh, this girl no longer lives in Boston. She lives out here in Santa Monica now, the last time I heard. And uh, she's made over $2 million off of her YouTube channel. Did you get that? Over $2 million. Um, there's, she gets an S she makes an estimated 15 to 2,200, $2,500 a day off of her YouTube channel. She's got like 22 million subscribers. Insane. Now she's a cute, I'm not going to say she is a, you know, she's not a high end fashion model. Cute. Uh, but she's a cute girl. And she's very witty. She's very intelligent. She does have a master's degree from the University of Boston. So she's a blonde and, uh, you know, her videos are kind of ridiculous and kind of dingy. But when it comes down to it, she's actually a very smart chick and she's very comedic. She's got a comedy mind. I don't know how she comes up with all the skits that she comes up with. Uh, If you're a fan of Vine, you know, there's a new girl named Brandy or yeah, Brandy Furlon or, or something like that. And, you know, she was the, she's the queen of vine, which is a six second, which is even more, uh, pressure to kind of come up with something that's, you know, witty and comical that can only go six seconds. But, uh, yeah, Brandy Furlon, I believe is her name or something like that. I've tweeted with her, you know, we've tweeted back and forth a few times on Twitter, but she's got an, an outstanding amount of people on that's fallen her on vine over a million I think maybe 3 million or 4 million last time I checked and she's making money off of it. She's like a spokesperson. I mean, people pay her to vine, you know, chewing gum companies pay her like Skittles or it wasn't Skittles, but I think it was some gum company or something that was, uh, maybe starburst or something. I can't remember, but some of these companies were paying her to, uh, make her little vine skits with their product in it, product placement. So, I've always kicked myself because I started my YouTube channel in 2006, but I had no confidence in producing videos to put up there. So what did I do? You know, I started trying to put these little, you know, uh, point of view videos up there with behind the scenes stuff of what I was doing. And I was a huge douchebag back then. I worked, had two earrings and, you know, I don't know. I mean, I was... I think a lot of us look back at times, you know, of you know, this was like 2007, I guess. And let's just say I'm a different guy now, but who knows, probably in five years, six, seven years from now, I'll look back now at this time and go, God, what a douchebag I was. I can't believe I was wearing that beanie or whatever. So anyway, that's kind of what I look back at those videos. Now I did a video where, um, and if you've looked at my YouTube channel, my YouTube introduction video talks about this. I did a like a little behind the scenes thing for um, Ishi Soshioda. I can't remember his name, but he was Olympic judo gold medalist uh, in the Olympics. I can't even remember which Olympics, but he's famous. He's really famous. And uh, I really didn't even have much of an idea who he was. I knew that he was a gold medalist. I knew that he had won and I'd seen some video, I think on YouTube or something of him competing, but I really didn't know who he was, but because I was into the mixed martial arts, uh, I kind of somewhat kept up with, uh, you know, with the judo and stuff and Cario Parisian is, he's a judo master. So he might've been the one that told me about him. So anyway, 
who used to be a UFC fighter. Uh, so anyway, uh, as a friend of mine. So anyway, uh, I did this video. Uh, it was, it's literally, it's embarrassing, but I just leave it up there. I have no idea why, but well, I do because it's got over 20,000 views and it's crap. I mean, it's horrible. It's embarrassing. Almost. It is embarrassing, but I just leave it up there because it, it still gets views. And that's what the name of the game is on YouTube is views. And, uh, so, you know, that's why I leave it up there. But the reason I kick myself is because if I would have really concentrated on my YouTube channel when it started, when I started it and really worked to perfect the production of the video and bring up the value of the videos that I was doing, who knows where my YouTube channel would be right now. I I might be making $500 a month and that's not a lot. But if it's a supplement income, because I'm an entrepreneur and I believe that every entrepreneur should have at least three streams of income, two at least, three preferably, uh, you you know, if you're a photographer, you should still have something else that's bringing in some dough, you know what I mean? So you don't have to have two jobs. When you work for yourself, I mean, the more stream, the more income you have coming in from the, the more different sources, the better you, the better you're going to be. Um, you know, things get tight sometimes when, you know, no shoots are booked. So I'm always working on different things. Even though I'm a photographer, there's downtime. When there's downtime, I'm looking for other things that might, you know, might work out. So the reason I'm so adamant or I'm not so adamant, but the reason I'm such a, the Sue, it's T-S-U pronounced Sue fanboy is because I've continuously kicked myself over the YouTube thing for years now. And now I'm kind of working on my YouTube channel and it's still pretty bad. It's not great, but I do have over a hundred thousand views and I have over a hundred subscribers. I'm pushing 150 per subscribers. Now on the grand scheme of things, that's nothing when you look at these big YouTube celebrities, but I'm just a guy with a shitty YouTube channel. It's not good. It's not great. It's, it's, if I had to grade my own YouTube channel, I would give it a C minus. So that's not great. And I've still got over a hundred thousand views. Now, if I would have really went after it, I should, uh, I would probably have a million views and that would really be something to be proud of. And, uh, so that's where I am with Sue. So I've always said to myself, if anything else ever comes up like that, I'm going to jump on it. And I always do. Uh, the when MySpace, the new MySpace redesigned and it came out, I was all about it. And it was, it you know, I was able to figure out right away that it was not going to really go anywhere because it, the, the format just isn't user friendly enough to coax anybody away from Facebook. So, you know, people are so drones, you know, they're so robotic and ostriches in the sand don't want change and you know they're so wrapped up in their Facebook and all their friends are on Facebook why would I want to go to this other social media thing I get it I understand and I'm not asking you to I don't you know I mean I've posted my stuff up there and I've actually made the mistake of doing that I shouldn't have spammed because I hate people spamming stuff it's like oh god shut up about it already so I'm going to shut up about it on uh, as far as posting a whole bunch of stuff on my Facebook page and stuff like that. I think everybody's seen it that wants to see it. But my thing is, is this, I look at it like this. I'm not going to say, I'm not going to tell you that Sue's going to make it because it may not. 
you know, 70% of new businesses fail. So Sue may, you know, it may be gone in six months. Who knows? I don't know. I can't predict the future. But what I can tell you is this. They're talking about, a, a you know, a rev share, you know, sharing the, you know, 10%, taking 10% for themselves, 90% uh, for the uh, content provider, kind of like YouTube. That's a great, you know, it's a great scheme. I mean, it, you know, it's a scheme, uh, sp- uh, scam scheme. I don't know, but it's, 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 it's a very good platform for it to work. Uh, the one thing I can say about it is like anything else, uh, right now you're going to, right now you're already getting, um, you're getting a lot, a lot, a lot of the other countries, people, you know, that you can't understand them from Russia and all these other countries where, you know, a little bit of money is a lot. So, you know, you're having to deal with that on Sue. There's a lot of people that are trying to, you know, kind of scam the system by overposting stuff. And, you know, the one thing that I can tell you that's a huge turnoff for me right now is there's people stealing content off the internet and just posting it on their Sue page. So, you know, that's very annoying. Um, you know, the platform is built around you creating a network and you posting valuable content that you create. So that's where I am with Sue and that's what I'm doing with it. Now, look, I've already got 500 friends, 35 people in my network, 200, over 200 followers. I haven't been on it a month. So if I can get 5,000 friends within a year, maybe have 20,000, 30,000 people in my network, hey, I'd be making $15, $16 a day. And you're like, $15 or $16 a day? Well, that ain't no money. Hey, that buys my coffee. That'll buy my Starbucks. People spend on average 80 bucks a month on Starbucks. I don't know if I spend quite that much, but most Americans spend on average 80 bucks a month on Starbucks, which is over a thousand a year. So, hey, that would more than pay for my Starbucks because that's going to be over $5,000 a year for playing around on social media, which is something that I do anyway. So, the other thing I can say is, you know, I look at it, I told you I'm going through this business course, the 67 67 steps, the 67 step program. And so another thing I can tell you is I look at this, I look at it as opportunity. It's an opportunity basically kind of to be starting a business, right? Uh, You know, as an entrepreneur with no money down, they're going to pay you to play. What? That'd be like going to Vegas and walking in the casino and they're like, here, here's some money for you to play. They're not charging you anything. It's free. Now, can you build a substantial network? Probably not. I'm going to be honest with you and we're going to talk real talk. Excuse me. We're going to wrap this up too because we're already over an hour. But I'm going to talk to you real talk. Who's going to make money on Sue? Will I be able to make money on Sue? I'm not really sure. Uh, the people that are really going to rake in the benefit or reap the benefits on Sue are the people that can grow a substantial, substantial network. 
we're talking to millions. We're talking, you know, if you can get a million people in your network, you're probably going to make 10 or 15, $20,000, maybe even 30, $40,000 a year. If you can get probably up to a million people in your network, who's going to be able to do that? Celebrities more than anyone. But who's to say that a regular Joe like me, that if I don't put my marketing skills to the test, that I can't get at least 50,000 people in my network. I think I could get probably 50,000 people in my network. And I think 50,000 in my network would garner me somewhere around $25 a day. That's not a lot, but $25 a day is still $25 a day for playing around on social media. How much does Facebook pay us? I've never got a dime from Facebook. Facebook last year or last quarter, not last year, I think last quarter, maybe last year, I can't remember. I read an article, made $5.4 billion. $5.4 billion out of your content. You're the one that's posting your content. When I go out and I do a photo shoot and I'm really proud of some beautiful pictures, what's the first thing I want to do with them? Or when I work on a project, what's the first thing I want to do with that amazing content? I want to get it on Facebook so all my friends can see what a cool photographer I am and what an outstanding job I did and and hope I get a bunch of likes and I'll be able to put this picture up there that I like and see if I get a bunch of likes on it and if I if I get a bunch of likes and it's as good as I think it is and if I don't get a bunch of likes maybe it's not that good maybe I'll try a different picture and that's kind of how I'm sure I'm not the only one it's kind of how we gauge you know whether the stuff that we're shooting you know because we may think it's great but everybody else may think it sucks you know what I mean that's one hardest thing about being an artist is gauging, you know, what is really good because we're biased because it's our own art or it's our own creation. So we automatically think it's great when it may not actually be that good. And I fall into that category all the time. And then there's stuff that I shoot and I think it's brilliant. And six months later, I think it's horrible. I look at it and I'm like, God, it's not that good at all. So, but if you put it up on social media and it gets a whole bunch of likes, then maybe it's okay. And, uh, that's kind of the way you can judge it. But how much is Facebook paying you for your content? Cause that's what you are as a content provider. Whether you want to acknowledge that or not, whether you believe it or not, especially of those of us that are, are probably you listening to this show who, you know, I, I, I should reiterate. There's a lot of people that listen to the show that aren't photographers that are just, I don't know what they are. They're either haters or fans of mine and, uh, or, they're both fans. If you're a hater, you're still a fan. Um, so they're listening to the show, but I think a lot of you are content creators. You're photographers. If you're a photographer, you're a content creator. And if you're putting your photography on Facebook, yeah, okay. You are advertising yourself to an extent, but you're also providing them with amazing content and they have ads $5.4 billion. Wrap your head around that. That we provided them. They're not paying anybody for content. And then they have the audacity. Facebook has the audacity to put in their terms of service that they can take your, they can take your uh, content and use it for their own advertisement or whatever they want to use it for. There's so many, so much shady bullshit on Facebook. 
how everybody is so brainwashed to Facebook. It, it, I just don't even get it. It blows my mind. And then there's other people on Facebook. I'm totally anti-Facebook. You don't know this. I freaking hate Facebook. Uh, I mean, I'm on it just because it's a necessary evil because that's where everybody is. But yeah, I'm more than rooting for Sue. I was rooting for Google Plus when it came out. But again, like the new MySpace redesign, it just it's not as user friendly. There's a ton of photographers on Google Plus, but I just don't like using it that well. And there's nobody over there. But with Sue, there's already a ton of people over there. And I'm already making connections with a lot of people that I didn't know. So that's cool. And it reminds me a lot of the old MySpace because I was talking to my buddy, online buddy, buddy I've never actually met in person, uh, but uh, we've met through social media, through Facebook. So that's, you know, there's where Facebook is good. It's still good for networking, uh, even though I can't stand it. Uh, but I was talking to Jack Fleming. God, I forgot my point. I was talking to him and, and um, man, I hate it when that happens. Anyway, I was talking to Jack the other day and I got him on, he, or he signed up to Sue, you know, and I was telling him like, you know, there's no guarantee that this thing is going to go. Oh, I remember what we we're talking about. Him and I were both talking about, cause he was on MySpace at the, at the infancy of it as well. I was a beta tester for it. He said he signed up for the very first week that it went public. And, um, so we were talking about the good old days of social media and MySpace. And Sue kind of reminds me of that because you have a lot of industry people on there, uh, you know, which is something with Facebook. You have everybody and their dog is on Facebook, kids, you know, and, and you had that with MySpace, too. But you had a huge conglomerate or a huge network of industry people. Like I said, T, I met Tila Tequila on there. I met uh, Janine Lindenmolder, who is Jesse James' ex-wife. We're still very good friends. I met her through MySpace. She had a whole network of people on MySpace that we have never met each other, but for 10 years or since 2004, nine years, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, yeah, 10, 11 years, we have all been great friends. Carly, Marley, um, there's a whole bunch of us that was in her little network on MySpace that have all remained great friends over the years. And we've never, a lot of us have never even met in person, but we're, we're great friends. Uh, Nikita, I've actually met her. She's another one that's in, was in Janine's, uh, inner circle on MySpace. And then we all kind of moved to Facebook, but now everybody kind of does their own thing, but we're, we all still know each other and we all met through MySpace and, there was a lot of celebrities from, you know, a, a, there were a lot of C celebrities like Tila Tequila uh, or Z or whatever you want to label them as, you know, there was porn stars, you know, models, photographers, musicians, rock bands, you know, uh, mixed martial artists, you know, all the, the MMA fighters when, cause MMA was just kind of taking hold and people were kind of getting curious about it back in those days. And so, Anybody that who anybody that was anybody was on MySpace and most of the general public wasn't on MySpace. You had a few people that were trying it. But what I'm saying is it was a a whole industry of of industry people on MySpace. So it was the it was the most it was the most critical time in social media history to make connections. I, I thoroughly believe that it was the best time to connect with other people. I mean, the twins. Cassandra Dawn, Jackie Dawn, 
the Asian twins. They're huge on Facebook now. I met them through MySpace. Talked about doing a, a photo shoot with them. It never materialized, but I was going to do a photo shoot with them back when the wing thing was so cliche and popular, the angel wing. So I was going to have one of them dressed in black uh, black lingerie with the black wings, the other one with white lingerie and the white wings. Cause one, they both talk about one's good sister, one's a bad sister. Um, you know, so all of those connections I made through Facebook, I mean, uh, through MySpace. and the most critical connection or the most important connection I made through MySpace was my old boss, Ken Pavia, who I was living in Dallas, just a guy sitting in his freaking office in his house doing not a whole lot. Um, and I met Ken Pavia through MySpace, who ended up offering me a job because he looked at my photography on my MySpace page and he wanted me, he wanted a on staff photographer for his mixed martial arts agency. And he flew me out here December, I mean, uh, November. Uh, 2006 for Thanksgiving and I spent a week in Huntington Beach then I flew home to Dallas and then April of 2007 packed all of my stuff up in Dallas and came to California and I've been here ever since and all of those connections from the everybody all of the celebrities or not all the celebrities but all the celebrities in those days of the mixed martial arts world from Tito Ortiz to um, got uh Let's see, Tito, Razor Rob McCullough, my old roommate. Um, geez, I mean, the list is just astounding of all the mixed martial artists. My mind goes blank. Uh, but um, Randy Couture, that was another one. Randy Couture is who I was trying to think of. A uh, bunch of mixed martial artists that I actually met, and it all materialized because of MySpace. So. I'm going to close this out. We're running about one thirteen, an hour 13. I usually try to keep these about an hour. So this is going to be the longest show. I can't shut up. It's been a while since I talked. So uh, here's the last tidbit of information that I want to share with you guys is uh, another reason why I'm so up and arm or such a fanboy of this suit or TSU suit is because I get so many people. I'm getting ready to shoot and direct a video or produce a video, and we're going to shoot a video for the Vicious Canids. I don't know if you heard the the radio program that I was on, uh, the radio show I was on about a year ago with the Vicious Canids, uh, the barbecue show in Long Beach on Beetlenut Radio. Uh, I was with uh, the band. Uh, we were going over pre-production stuff in Long Beach a couple weeks ago and they've just got their website up I've been telling them for two years ever since I met them about two two years ago that they should be working on their social media that they should have a Twitter page and Instagram all that stuff they just got it up better late than never uh, they just got their website up now their website looks great and they've got their Twitter you know they got the whole thing but they're two years behind already. They should have done it two years ago when I told them to. So now they're still starting out with no followers hardly or anything. And Mateo, who's a very good friend of mine, he's asked me a couple of times now, like, how do you get followers on Twitter? How do you get followers? How do you get followers on Facebook or uh, Instagram? How do you get people to like your fan page on Facebook? Okay. And I get this question all the time, all the time. And, uh, 
you know, I've got over 6,000 people following me on Instagram and I don't even mess with it that much anymore. Um, I've got, you know, over 4,000 people on my personal Facebook page. I just broke the 4,000 barrier not too long ago. Uh, 18, over 1800 on my fan page that I never use anymore on Facebook or my business page, Rab Media Group. So I do have a decent following on social media and I've had so many people over the years, uh, even on MySpace back in the day on MySpace, people were like, Oh my God, how do you get 10,000 people to be your friend on MySpace? Okay. Facebook, all of them. And Facebook, I was a little bit behind the gun because I was still stuck on MySpace. I did not want Facebook to ever kill MySpace. And uh, so I, I held out as long as I could before I created a Facebook page in 2009. But, uh, you know, I could have got on a little bit sooner. I usually jump right on the bandwagon right away. But with Facebook, I wasn't sold on that. And I had a very nice layout on my MySpace page, so I wanted to spend most of my time on MySpace. But here's my secret to really getting a lot of followers, friends, and stuff on your social media. And the number does count. You can say whatever you want to say. If you're in business, if you're an entrepreneur, if you're a photographer, if you're trying to build a network, if you're trying to look legit with what you're doing, and you're trying to be an influencer, that's the key word as an influencer. If you're trying to be a social media influencer, you need to have numbers to back that up. I was uh, in this uh, online seminar this morning. It was a conference, a three-hour conference online. And uh, there was a guy in there who was trying to preach to the room in the chat room about, oh, you should be doing this and, you know, you do whatever you set your mind to and all this all this stuff, like he was uh, this online marketing guru himself. So I ended up, while I'm watching the conference or while I'm in this conference and taking notes and stuff, I ended up Googling his name and his Twitter came right up. So I'm like, oh, well, he's some kind of motivational speaker himself. So let's check him out. So immediately I go to his Twitter page because that's really where you gauge people. Uh, because Twitter is mostly for if you anybody who it's like the old MySpace anybody that is anybody that is anybody will be on Twitter and and only the biggest names of the biggest will really thrive on Twitter. So I go to his Twitter page and I think he had four hundred and thirty followers or something like that on Twitter or friends followers yeah followers on Twitter. So I was like. And I mean, he had a very nice banner. He had a decent banner. He had a business banner. So you can tell that he's trying to get somewhere, but it's all bark and no bite. You know what I mean? When I look at something like that, I do not take you seriously at all as being an online influencer or an influencer or a motivational speaker or whatever the hell you're trying to do. You only got 430 people following you, buddy. You're in Lavona, Michigan or wherever you are. You're not much of an influencer. You shouldn't be trying to talk all your smack in this chat room, you know, when other people have thousands of followers that people are really listening to what they're saying. Does that make sense? So if you want to look legitimate, you do have to have the numbers to back you up. Of course, people inflate those numbers. People buy Twitter followers. People buy Instagram followers. But if you watch my YouTube video, 
the truth about followers, the truth about buying followers, just like I told people with Instagram, everything else, you're going to lose those followers because Twitter and Instagram find them and wipe them out over time. So, you know, when you buy them, you'll keep them for a while and then they're going to be gone. So if you want to buy, you're just going to have to keep buying them over and over and over again. And your numbers are going to be all over the place. Uh, because if you lose, if you lose 20,000 or let's say you lose, uh, 4,000 and you can only buy 5,000 followers as the minimum you can buy, your number is going to go up immediately. It's going to go down and it's going to go up. People are going to catch on to that. So, you know, uh, the one thing that I will tell you that I've done continuously and I do lose followers on my Instagram and my Twitter because I used to do those follow chains. They used to have these things called follow chains. And what follow chains were, were these people going, hey, follow this or tweet this or retweet that. And all the people that are on my do retweet this and re and, and you would have this thing come up and it'd be, oh, Twitter follow chain, jump on and retweet this and everybody will retweet it for you and follow everybody that retweets it. So 40 people would retweet it and you would follow all them and they would follow you back. The problem was, is the initial person that you thought was an initial person that started that follow chain were robots. They're programs. They're bots. And I didn't know this at the time. I was fooled. wasn't fooled, but I was just tr- hungry trying to get followers like everybody else. And um, so I would always jump on these follow chains. And I'd sit there for an hour wasting time on these follow chains. And, uh, you know, come to find out, it's all a bot system. So, when you followed those follow chains, there was probably only five people in the 40 that were actually real people. The rest of them were robot or bots were fake accounts. They were put into this automa- automated program. So basically what you're doing is following a bunch of fake accounts and they ought to, and they're programmed to automatically follow you, follow you back. Well, guess what? It's the same shit as buying followers. You're going to lose those over time too. So, I had over 10,000 followers on my Instagram and during the Instagram, um, resurrection, what do they call it? Um, the, uh, God, what was it called? It was the same thing as the end of the end of times, uh, the resurrection. Yeah. The resurrection or whatever. Um, when that happened with Instagram and so many people lost all the, the Instagram followers that they had bought. I had over 10,000. I went from 10,000 to, Got six over six thousand, so I lost three thousand followers. But a lot of that was the follow bots. It wasn't that I was buying followers. It was because I was always on those follow chains, and I, there was actually a little piece of software out there that you could go to a website and put yourself into this follow group and get all of these followers. You could add your name to it, and you would magically start. You would be on the follow chain, same as Twitter. So you would you would get all of these uh, followers. But then when you would get them, you would go to their profile, and they'd be like one picture, or you know, it would just be the. You'd get fifty followers, but every single one of them would have almost the exact same profile. So you knew they were not real followers. So yeah, I had a ton of those because I used to get on all of those follow things. You know, they'd go follow me, I'll follow you back, and you know, and and so I did that. And like I said, and I can't remember the name of that website, 
but there was a website that uh you could it was a pro it was a program actually and you would go and enter your name in there and then um yeah it would generate you followers and but none of them were real they were all fake followers so it was basically like buying followers but you weren't buying them because it was free but uh yeah you it's fake accounts the fake accounts are going to disappear because the uh twitter facebook instagram they eventually find them because of inactivity you know those bots they you know they're programmed to run so long and then they stop doing any there's no activity so they check the accounts and find out they're not real accounts and they delete them so if you bought them you're going to lose them if you did a follow chain or whatever like i did you're still going to lose them they're going to go away those fake accounts are not going to last so you're just wasting your money so save your money I did a whole YouTube video about this. And uh, so there's no reason to shell out money for friends or for followers. Um, it's just a waste of money. And so back to T- back to Sue. Yeah. And my secret is get in early. It's like anything. Get in early. You know, don't miss the boat. Get in early. Um, so that's how I'm building my empire on Sue. Right now, how many, let me ask you this. I've been on there not, not even a month. I started on February 15th and it's March 4th. Okay. Three weeks. I have over four, 500 friends over, I'm going on 300 followers, 35 people in my network. Uh, how many people do you have? If you start tomorrow, how far, how far ahead of am I than you? Quite a bit. You, but you can catch up pretty quick. But I'm pushing to get 50 followers a day. So, you know, or 50, you know, and I'm just trying to build up the whole network. I want it to be a monster. So, you know, friends, followers, whatever. There's no limit right now, I believe, on Sue. So they may decide to limit it sometime. I'm sure they probably will, you know, if it gets really popular. Well, I'm in, I'm getting my foot in the door right away and getting as many as I can just in case if they decide to scale it back at some point. Uh, I don't want to be struggling. So that is the secret. That is my secret to growing a very large, substantial network on a social media platform is jump in as soon as you hear about it, as soon as you can. If Sue goes away, if I spend, let's say it lasts a year and it dies and I spend a year, what did I spend? A little bit of time doing shit I was going to be doing anyway. Now, what if it takes off and I got in at the beginning? What if, what if in five years, okay, I've been on Facebook now since 09, six years, six years. Okay. What can I do on Sue in six years? And you got to realize as Facebook limits you on all kinds of things. You can only have 5,000 friends. If you send too many friend requests, they put you in the Facebook or the Facebook police put you in jail, you know, and they take your, take your uh, friend request thing away for a month. And they have all kinds of limitations. You know, they're Nazis on Facebook. That's why I freaking hate Facebook. You know, it's ridiculous. Uh, but it's just, you know, now there's a bunch of people. I've had a couple of my friends, Chopper Doll, who had a huge network on Facebook. She's 
hugely popular in the bike world. Uh, and the Harley Davidson or, you know, the custom chopper, she has a big bear chopper, but she's huge in the bike world. She had thousands of people, you know, her, her friend thing was full and she, you know, she still had people trying to, you know, friend her all the time on Facebook. Well, they deleted her Facebook page. Why? Because Chopper Doll is not her real name. But she has tons of stalkers. She's had people show, she's had guys that she didn't even know show up at her door. Find her address, find out who she was, show up at her door. I took a picture one time when we were in Big Bear riding and uh, for my Instagram. And I put it on Instagram and it had her license plate on her bike showing. And she had a conniption fit because she's literally been stalked. She's had crazy guys show up at her place that she didn't even know. You know what I mean? And freak her out. So she doesn't want her real name on her Facebook. She wants her privacy. So there you go. Sue, she can be chopper doll. She doesn't have to be, you know, what her real legal name is, which very few people know. I know it and I'm not going to say it, but you catch my drift. You know, uh, Facebook has all of these regulations and rules and stuff that I don't like. You know, that's one thing. I, that's one reason I'm a big advocate for Twitter is because Twitter's not like that. Twitter's free. You know what I mean? There's everything on Twitter. Twitter doesn't regulate like Facebook does. And I love it. Uh, it's great. And uh, that's another reason I really despise Facebook. You know, and, and there needs to be a place for business people. You know, I mean, my stepmom is on Facebook. You know, everybody's on Facebook. There needs to be a place for professionals. So hopefully Sue can be that. If all of us professionals, if all of the photographers of the world that's on Facebook move to Sue, if all of the uh, marketing people, the musicians, the artists, if we all move to Sue and leave the grandkids, the kids, mom and dad, grandparents, everybody on Facebook, Man, what a great, great tool Sue will become. I'm not going to say that's going to happen because if anybody starts making any decent money and it gets reported for Sue, it's going to be a bigger tsunami than it already is of people coming to Sue. The first time a you know a regular Joe from around the block gets a $500 check from Sue, boy, yeah, the floodgates are going to open. Um, anyway, so I'm going to close this out. We're at an hour 30 minutes. So a lot of you or some of you that listened to the previous podcast know that I uh, actually moved the podcast uh, to Podbean from Lipson. And the reason I did that was because Lipson, uh, you know, you you could only upload like 200 megabytes a month or something like that. And then they would penalize you. And so they had tiered plans for how much kind of like a cable company or something. So I moved to Podbean because it's unlimited. So, you know, with Lipson, I literally couldn't go over an hour. So my show could only be an hour, which I think an hour is plenty long enough. This one's longer because, God, I haven't done a show in three months. So I'm just kind of like living it all out there in this show. And another thing is talking to myself or not to myself, but talking just me is not near as interesting for you guys as when I have somebody on the show. I know. So I'm really working on getting guests on the show. Uh, we're going to be doing the video shoot, uh, in April. We had to push it back because Corey Molina, who, uh, is, uh, the owner of CCM films, Corey Cruz Molina films, him and I did the uh, Olivia Newton, John and John Travolta video together. We're very good friends. We have our own companies, but we collaborate, come together and become one joint venture to, uh, produce videos. Um, 
and uh, I'm going to direct the Vicious Canids next video for their uh, hit song California, their new hit single California off their EP that was produced by the late Ike Owens, uh, who passed away uh, in Mexico, who was on tour with uh, Jack White of the White Stripes, and uh, he produced their album. It's great. They're kind of a little ska, reggae, country band, uh, you know, and I just have all the faith in the world in them. I hope they really make it, but uh, they've got a little money together, and they want to produce or they want a good a very well produced video music video so uh we're gonna we're gonna produce it i'm gonna direct it Corey's gonna be the director of photography or the cinematographer and uh we're still casting i think i found the lead i think i found the lead for the uh female or the lead part of the video so uh it was the per- the girl that i wanted for it so i think it's going to be a magical project. I'm pretty uh, excited about it and uh, looking forward to it. So anyway, uh, I can say that um, one reason I, I, I got a little bit discouraged with the show is why I, well, another reason I took a break because I worked really hard on getting this thing up and getting it going. And uh, right off the bat, I had a bunch of people or not a bunch. I had few people that were interested in being guests live in the studio. And so they came all the way out from LA, which is 130 miles to the desert compound here in Joshua tree. They came all the way out here, friends of mine, and they were on the show, but I knew that wasn't going to last. And, uh, I just don't want to be doing the show all the time solo. I'm just talking to myself. You know what I mean? Joe Rogan's podcast is hugely popular, but one reason it's hugely popular is he always has a guest on his show. Every show he has a different guest. So, you know, I'm a one, I'm a one man army here. So, you know, it's just a, I'm a one horse pony or whatever that's, that saying is, it's just me. I'm a one man army doing all this myself, producing it, putting it together, editing it, and uh, putting it up on the web, uh, uploading it. So, you know, it's just me. And uh, so it's hard to work, make money, produce the podcast, and then, you know, get it up, and then also search for guests. So what I had done is Melissa Jean was talking about being on the podcast with me, a model that I worked with uh, several years ago. She was a Playboy cover model. You can't say Playboy Playmate because she was never a Playmate, but they had these other magazines, you know, like uh, Nights, Playboy Nights or something like that. And she was on one of those magazines or the college girls or girls of some brunettes or I don't know what it was, but she was on the cover of one of those Playboy magazines, which is a legitimate Playboy magazine. And I shot her several years ago. I actually met her at GlamourCon in Long Beach and uh, we ended up doing a shoot, but Anyway, we reconnected. She was in Miami. She lived in Miami when I initially worked with her, uh, but she was out here at GlamourCon. We collaborated on a shoot, and then um, we reconnected through Instagram a while back. Uh, she hit me up on Instagram, uh, sent me a follow request or whatever, and so uh, we got to talking, and she's engaged now, lives in New York City, moved from Miami to New York. She's modeling a lot. She's a very tall girl. She's 5'10", and she's a beautiful brunette, but uh, I asked her to be on the podcast, and she said she said she'd love to because she's got some projects and stuff coming up, so I was excited to have her on the podcast. So I went through all of the headache of 
searching and finding the right call-in software that would work on my computer. And I've dedicated, I have an old Dell XPS 1530, I think. Yeah, it's a 1530, uh, which was top of the line back in 2009 when I bought it. It looks like a dinosaur now, but I have a Mac, you know, a 13-inch Mac, too. I had a 15-inch. I just went to a 13-inch to be a little bit more portable. But uh, I wanted just a computer just for the um, podcast because I have a 27-inch iMac, and I was initially first doing it on that computer and just didn't like the way it was all working with, you know, the podcast stuff. I just wanted wanted a computer just for the podcast. So... I've dedicated this old Dell to the podcast. And uh, anyway, long story short, I finally found the software, the call-in software that works with uh, Audacity. So I can't remember if it's Skype. Yeah, it's Skype. It actually, uh, it's a plug-in for Skype, but it's just for the call. So basically when they call in, it immediately kicks on and records the conversation. So I tested it uh, with Allie Cat Arkfeld, uh when she was in LA, she, I got her to call in and, uh, she was actually out here in studio and did the show, but, uh, I got her to uh, give me a call and test the software out and it worked fine. So I was stoked and, uh, got everything lined up and I spent about a week getting that all lined up and ready to go. And then I talked to, uh, Melissa Jean and she was really excited about being on the show, but she'd been traveling. She was in Arizona and she was going back to New York and when she got back, she was going to call in and do the show. So the day that she was supposed to, uh, the day she was, the day after she was supposed to return, you know, I gave her a day to, to decompress and get home, decompress, I think, and do all that stuff. Or maybe it was the day she got home. I don't remember. But long story short was I stayed up to like 12 o'clock in the morning because she had said, yeah, 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 I have to run here and run there and I've got to go out to Brooklyn, but or wherever she was going and pick up her fiance or whatever. But as soon as we get home, I'm going to call you and we can do the interview. And long story short, she didn't flake, but she said, Hey, I'm so tired. You know, I had to fly flu all day and then had to go to all drive all the way out there in traffic, pick up my fiance. Can we do it tomorrow? I said, sure. Long story short. I say that a lot. Anyway, uh, she didn't do the show. Uh, the next day she was, apprehensive about it she didn't think that she had enough on her plate her tour that she was doing was uh not all uh scheduled yet so she didn't have anything to really promote so she asked if you know she could wait a couple of months or whatever so I said sure but after I'd done all of that it was a real disappointment so I was just kind of a little bit deflated and I was like you know what I'm just gonna like step back reevaluate this whole podcast thing and see how I want to do it. So that's what this is, is I've reevaluated and uh, that's what this initial show is. And I've come to a different crossroads of the show. And, uh, you know, the initial shows, if you listen to them, they were kind of lighthearted and fun. And I was really working on making the show kind of like a goofy little you know, fun, entertaining podcast with, you know, trying to be humorous and I'm not a comedian and, you know, going, Oh, this is Rav. Yeah. You know, and I've decided to kind of get a little bit away from that. Uh, there might still be a little bit of it from time to time, but I really want to 
work the podcast in a different, take the podcast in a different direction to really try to help people or help other photographers, anybody that needs anything or has any questions, you can ask me. And I will try, you know, you can send me an email at ravholly at gmail.com and ask me anything you want to ask me. Uh, the other thing I want to say is I get tons of messages on Facebook Messenger. I think I've got six or 700 messages on there. And um, I don't go get to go through them all the time. All of you people, I just want to apologize, you know, because so many people message me on there and I don't get back to you ever. And it's not because I'm just ignoring you. It's just because I don't really use the Facebook Messenger all that much. And I just, you know, I get tons of people just messaging me out of the blue with different proposals for different, you know, asking different questions. And the one thing that I do want to answer is when people have photography questions. And I had Jerry from our photo junkie group just sent me a message asking me some technical questions uh, that I think he wasn't maybe comfortable asking in the open group. And that's what I want this podcast to be about. So, if you do have any questions, uh, feel free to ask me. Ask me on uh, Facebook Messenger. I'm going to start working a lot harder to uh, check those messages. And the ones I'll ignore are be, will be the ones that, you know, don't pertain to photography. You know, I mean, I get, you would be amazed at the messages I get on Facebook. And I'm not talking about hot chicks coming on to me and stuff like that. I'm talking about people talking crap and you know, saying certain derogatory things about my work or me or whatever. So, you know, I get a lot of that, so I ignore it. So, I mean, and a lot of times, excuse me, a lot of times when that happens and you ignore them, boy, then they really get mad. So they just start blowing it up. So every two seconds, my phone's ding, 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 ding. So I just turn it off and I completely ignore the Facebook messenger. As a matter of fact, I deleted it for a month or two months, but a model was trying to get a hold of me and I found out she was trying to get a hold of me through Facebook Messenger, so I hurried up and downloaded again so we could conversate. But um yeah, it's just I get tons of messages on there, so it's hard to keep up with them. It's hard to know what's legitimate. A lot of them I just ignore them because I don't have time to answer all of them. But I'm gonna start keeping up with them better. And if they're photography related, I'm going to be answering those. I really want to, um, I really want to use this podcast to try to help people, you know, other photographers, especially you people that are just starting out and are a little bit lost and don't know exactly what you're doing and you're close, but you may have a question, but you're too afraid to ask somebody, ask me, Hey, that's what I'm here. You know, that's why I'm doing this is if I can help you not make some of the mistakes I made, then my purpose here is served last but not least back with uh one more point i wanted to make on sue i'm looking at my podcast show format notes and i'd forgot this uh, i wanted to talk about uh, the new direction of the podcast which is what i did so feel free to ask me any questions uh send me uh you can email me at ravholly at gmail.com you can uh, ask me on my website there's a contact page uh, on contact on my website at ravholly.com or you can send me a message to the Facebook messenger or you can uh, message me on TSU or Sue. And uh, my last point on Sue I wanted to make is this, if you don't sign up for any other reason, 
this might be the right reason. Um, and this is my thought, my another thought process for Sue for myself is again, I've talked three or four times already about the 67 days, 67 steps on the 67 day course I'm going through business course. And, uh, it's like a self-motivation course, which I've needed to be motivated lately. And, uh, unfortunately, but, um, so one of the things in this course or one of the things that, uh, Ty Lopez, who, uh, is the, he's not a professor, but the guru, I guess, uh, the self-help guru or whatever he is exactly, um, talks about, uh, on one of his YouTube videos is charity. And, uh, he's very, he's very well off. He's worked with 12 multi-million dollar companies or whatever. And, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's very financially stable is what I should say. And, uh, so he's, like I told you, he's got all of these free videos that you could watch on YouTube and I recommend all of them. I've watched, I mean, I'm going through, he's got a lot of them. He does like a video a day, even if it's only like 16 seconds. And, uh, so I've been going through all of his videos cause he has a lot of little key quotes. Uh, he reads a lot of books, so you get a lot of knowledge of from books that he's read that he, you know, he's giving you for free on YouTube. And one of the videos that he talks about is, uh, charity and, um, giving back. And I just want to be perfectly honest that charity is, I've actually, you know, a couple of Christmases ago, or one Christmas several years ago, I went and, uh, helped hand out food for the homeless in downtown LA. Melissa Lozano was there. I met her back before she was married and had kids. And, uh, it was just a really, really good day. Um, because stuff like that just makes you makes your soul feel good, and for some reason I never went back and did it again. I met a celebrity. I met two or three celebrities there. I can't remember Dennis Rodman maybe was there, Melissa Lozano, Dennis Rodman, and maybe one other celebrity. But it was a really cool day, and they were and the celebrities were just like everybody else. I mean, there was no special treatment, or you know, they didn't have one little table for the celebrities. It was everybody in a line just serving the people that were coming through the line. And, uh, it was really cool day. And I took a picture of Melissa back in those days and, uh, our, that day and stuff. It was just, it was a really cool thing. Uh, and I should have stayed with it cause that was my way of giving back because I didn't have the money to give back, uh, at the time really, you know, money was a little scarce and where I am now. And the problem is, is when I do have the money to give back, I always second guess it. I'm like, Oh, well, I, I, you know, I shouldn't, I want to give like a couple of hundred bucks, but I, I think I want to buy a this or I want to buy a that. And if I do that, I might, you know, not have quite enough money to buy a this or buy a that. Uh, I want a new camera lens cover or a new Pelican case or, you know, a new strobe light or something, uh, you know, or battery pack. You know, there's always something that I'm wanting photography gear wise and I'm stingy. You know, I'm not going to lie to you. I mean, I get stingy. I'm like, oh, well, I need, I need my equipment for my business were, you know, worse than I need to be given to the homeless people and the, or, you know, or to charity. And the problem with that is, and I know this because I know other very wealthy people and they all give to charity all the time and, uh, or, you know, as much as they can. And 
successful people, a lot of successful people give to charity. And in this video that Ty, he talks about when he was five years old, that he had a quarter and, uh, they went somewhere. I can't remember like what it was. And I, oh, it was at church. That's right. He was at church with his mother and he was five years old and they were passing around the, the donation plate or whatever it's called at church. I used to know what that thing was called. I haven't been in a church in so long. I probably catch on fire if I walked in. Uh, so they were passing the plate around and he was five years old. And all he had was a quarter, but a quarter for him back in those days, or a quarter was quite a bit of money for a five-year-old. And, uh, but he only had one quarter and he pulled it out of his pocket and he put it in the coffers or the, you know, the, the, the plate that they pass around that you put your donation in. And, uh, he said he didn't feel any, he felt great. You know, he put it in there and that was cool. So they went home, they left the church and they drove home. And when they got home, uh, they pulled up and Ty's uncle was there and uh, like his mother's brother, I guess, or his uncle anyway. So they walk in and uh, his uncle's there and he's got like one of those big Ozarka, like the water, five gallon jugs or something. And he goes, Ty, he goes, I brought this for you. I want you to have it. And it was a huge Ozarka or, uh, you know, a huge water bottle, like for those water machines that with the little cone cups and, uh, like the sparklets bottles and it was full of quarters or not full of quarters, but it had a bunch of quarters. It was, he goes, this is my, this is a collection of quarters that I've had for some time and I want you to have it. And he was like, and then his, he said, it was funny because just as soon as his uncle said that his mother kind of lit up and she looked at him, she goes, see Ty, if you give the Lord will give back. And that is the bottom line. That's the moral of this story is you should give and you shouldn't give to get back. But it seems like the people that are willing to give are the ones that are willing to get back Uh, or, you know, the, the ones that do give do get back. So it's always bothered me that I don't really give like I, you know, and I want to give and then I don't give, I give to the guy that's on the corner from time to time with a sign on the freeway that says, you know, Hey, will work for booze or food or money. You know, I'll give him a couple of bucks, uh, you know, going into a Seven Eleven or if I'm at the gas station sometimes, but it all depends on where I am in my life and what kind of mood I'm in. When they walk up to me, I've had them walk up to me from behind and spook me and kind of pisses me off. And then I'm like, no, I ain't giving you anything at the hell out of here. I'm not that mean, but I'm just saying it. That's what I want to say. I'm like, Hey man, don't be walking up on me like that. You know what I mean? It's like a, it's kind of a weird deal when they do that, especially in LA. So, um, but I do want to give to people that are in need, but sometimes I'm not in the position to get really be giving myself. Um, so that is my goal with Sue because they do have charities on there. They have charity water on there. They have a few more other charities on there. So you, whatever you earn on Sue, you can automatically donate it. You don't have to do anything. You can pay anybody on Sue. So if, if I'm on Sue and you're on Sue and I have $200 and I want to give you a hundred, all I got to do is just send it to you through Sue. You it'll go right to you, and then you can cash it out. You can, so that is 
my goal with Sue is I want to probably give, <clears throat> I would love to get it, you know, I mean, I would love to be able to give 100%. I would love to be able to use Sue just to give back to charity. So every year, whatever I garner, whatever I make, just give it all back to charity. And that's what my goal is with Sue, is it's going to be my charity money. So that's my goal. Uh, if, you know, good things happen and I start making, you know, let's say a thousand a week or I'm sorry, not a week, but a thousand a month, that might change. You know, I might take 800 and give 200 to charity, but, or 300 to charity. But the thing is, is I want to use it to be able to give back. So that's my goal with my Sue is to, uh, use it right now for charity purpose, uh, to be able to be that extra money that I don't want to take right out of my pocket and, uh, be able to give back. And it's funny because it's, it's really funny to me how this Sue thing just come about and worked out because I've real that's really been bothering me lately that, um, I want to give back, but I sometimes just don't feel like I have enough income coming in on a regular enough basis to do it. And then when I get a big check or a big chunk of change, I don't know exactly when the next one's going to come. So I just hoard it and hold on to it or buy computers or buy, you know, I bought a Mac pro the last time, the last check, but I had to have that because my other Mac was full. So I couldn't even edit any photo photos. So, you know, I had to do something. So, you know, that's, that's where I was with that. And then I ended up buying a new Mac, a new 13 inch iMac or Mac pro a MacBook pro. So, you know, that's kind of the way that works, but that's the selfishness in me. And that's why Sue hopefully will be my charity money and will be my money. So I can at least once a year at Christmas time or something, I can give back and give to the charity that I want. And really I want to be able to do it twice a year, every six months. I'm hoping I can give to one charity and then give to another charity. So even if it's 25 bucks, if I can make 25 bucks on, uh, on Sue and then just give that to charity water, or another, you know, another charity. I can tell you, it's funny. Like when you start thinking about something, I'm very, I'm very uh, into, uh, you know, the power of your mind and the universe and what you think about, you bring about, which it all revolves around that whole secret thing. If you've read the book secret or watched the DVD, you know, I think there's, you know, there's a, there is a lot to that, whether you want to believe it or if you think it's superstition or whatever. And, uh, so I've been thinking about this charity thing a whole lot. And, uh, for, like the last six months, I guess. And in the last two or three, the last month, maybe every time I turn around, it's something to do with charity. And I'm just like, Oh, I just was invited out of the blue, uh, a couple of weeks ago to the Frank Sinatra gala, uh, that was in Palm Springs. It was actually out of the one, the casinos. It was, it was outside of Palm Springs, like an in Indio, but it was a beautiful event, beautiful event. And it's still hosted by Barbara Sinatra, the uh, wife, the late wife of uh, Frank Sinatra. She was there. Um, let's see who else was there. Uh, Robert Wagner was there. Uh, and uh, uh, Burt Baccarat was the musical show. And it's funny because Burt's been around for years, for decades, man. He was doing jingles and he was doing little uh, themes for TV shows when I was a kid. 
So he's been around for years. So I had no like, oh, wow, I can't wait to see Burt back. I couldn't even, I was like, Psh, I don't even care. Is he even relevant anymore? How old is he, like 90? You know, it was kind of my thoughts. It was mesmerizing. He's so good. And the history of all the songs, you know, that, that he's written, it was absolutely amazing. If you get the chance to go see Burt Baccarat, he may not be around for much longer. He's around Palm Springs right now performing. If you can go see that man, go see him. It's well worth it. He is a genius. He's a musical genius. And the music that he's written that you don't even know that was him that wrote it, but he plays it and you're just like, oh my God, everybody at our table was going, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know he wrote that. And it was over and over and over and over all night. And it was just amazing. And it was a celebrity, it was a celebrity gala. So every table had a celebrity at their table. I'm not going to tell you who our celebrity was, but every celebrity, I mean, every table had a celebrity and it was just an absolutely beautiful, beautiful event for me. I mean, a beautiful meal they gave us, beautiful meal, wine, everything, and everything was on the house. You didn't pay for anything. But the thing about it is, is, you know, I got invited by Lisa with CV Weekly, which is a newspaper. It's like uh, for you. You people that are in L.A., it's just like L.A. Weekly. For the people in Orange County, it's like O.C. Weekly. It's the little uh, magazine. It's the local magazine thing. And she's like an editor for CV Weekly. And she invited me. She had an extra ticket. So I was really stoked, really excited. But uh, I moved out here to the desert. So I'm, you know, I'm not in L.A. anymore. I don't have Long Beach. I don't have my studio. So I'm moving around and I have to be sure that I have enough gas money to get to my next gig. You know, it's just, I'm not saying things are tight, but I do budget, I have to budget everything. So, um, you know, that's kind of the way I'm looking at it is, is not spending and splurging and, uh, basically giving away to charity. And that's what this was, was a charity event. So they did a charity auction. They had a silent auction and they had a, uh, you know, a regular auction. Uh, and, then they come around, you know, or, or, you know, they're just asking for donations, direct donations. So, you know, they start like at 10,000. Do we have a $10,000 donation? And like five people in the, in out of 500 people raise their hand. Uh, do we have, no, I think they started at 25,000. It was, they're like, do we have a 25,000? Um, do we have a $25,000 member here? Do we have one donation? Or do we have anybody that's going to donate 25,000 tonight? And two people raised their hand. So there's two 25. So that was 50 grand. Then they went down to like, uh, gosh, I think the 10,000 and like five people raised their hand. Then they went to 5,000 and like 20 people raised their hand. And then they went to, uh, like a thousand and then like 10 people raised their hand. Then they went to 500 and then last but least they went to a hundred and that's what I was going to donate was at a hundred and I started to raise my hand and for some reason I didn't and I was like oh and I was sitting there at a table with all these other people and nobody else raised their hand either so that didn't make me feel so bad but then I was one of the only men at the table it was all women. So then I got self-conscious about that. Cause I was like, Oh my God, these women probably think I'm a cheap ass. Cause I'm not even going to donate a hundred dollars, but there wasn't that many people that were donating at the hundred dollar level. Like you would think there would be. So a lot of people had had way too much wine and it was, there was a 
guy right behind us that looked exactly like Teddy Kennedy, and he was just as drunk as Teddy Kennedy probably would be at the Frank Sinatra Gala. So we were laughing at him, and it was funny. But and he didn't donate either, and he's you know he looked like he had on a two three thousand dollar suit. So I didn't feel too bad, but you know I just it, it's bothered me because all of these things have been coming up with charity, and it's telling me you know it's like the universe telling me hey. You need to start making, you need to start finding a way so you can donate, so you can get this off your chest. And uh, you just need to suck it up. If you need to sell something of your, you know, of your own to get rid of it, to donate, then probably that's what you need to do. And lo and behold, you know, sometimes you ask the universe, you know, thinking about it and it will provide. And I'll be damned, not a week later. I stumble on, I'm on Facebook and I stumble onto this guy's post that I signed up under through Sue Scott. And, uh, I didn't even know what it was. I hadn't even heard of it. It started in October of 2014. It started in October of last year. So five months ago now, and I hadn't even ever heard of it. I didn't know anything about it, but I just immediately like kind of took a look at it and like, yeah, I'll try this and check it out and see what it's all about. And I didn't even have any idea that of the money that, you know, that they were going to pay you. I just thought it was another social media network. And I was like, wow, this kind of looks like Facebook, but it's green. So, uh, I was a little skeptical at first, you know, you know, like, Oh God, here we go. I got to sign up for another social media thing. Boy, I got to make another profile. This is going to be painful. Or is this even going to be worthwhile? Why do I even need to do this? I already have a Facebook page. So I get it. All of those things ran through my head too, but it was very easy and painless. It took me literally like a minute and I was already on my page and hell within 20 minutes, I had everything set up and it was like my Facebook page. I was running with it. So then I find out the monetization thing. So I'm like, what they pay? What they pay on this one? And then I watched a video that the Scott guy had posted on his, uh, Sue page. There was a Fox, uh, interview with, uh, Sebastian who is the, uh, again, the CEO and the the president of Sue. And so I ended up posting all that in our photo junkie group and nobody really signed up, which is par for the course when you're talking about photographers. But, um, I think one or two, Rob Mulligan signed up, Tim Thompson signed up, um, maybe a couple more. So shout out to you guys. Thank you guys for using my link and signing up. Uh, if it works, it works. If it doesn't, I don't think we lost anything. Um, but yeah, so there is my charity answer and I'm going to work really hard to be able to, at the end of the year at Christmas time, to be able to give all of the money that I make through Sue. And look, if it's five bucks, five bucks is five bucks. So I'll put you know, maybe 90 with that, or, you know, if hopefully I can make about 10 bucks, I know I can probably make more than that. Cause I'm pushing, you know, I'm going to, I should make that again within no time. But what I'm saying is hopefully I can make about 50 bucks and then I can put another 50 bucks with that. And I can donate that to the Barbara Sinatra house, which is for underprivileged children. They take abused children, abused. Now these kids are abused. These kids aren't kids that, you know, are spoiled and, you know, throwing a fit and their parents drop them off, you know, and run off and leave them or something. No, these are kids that are found that are taken away and, and that are really abused. And some of these kids have, you know, major emotional problems because they were physically abused, mentally abused. Um, uh, you know, one little girl 
they showed a video of her. She was locked in the closet. Her mom kept her in the closet most of the time. You know, so these kids are abused and they need help. And that's what the Barbara Sinatra Foundation does. And that's what they did. You know, Frank and Barbara, it was Barbara's baby. You know, she's the one that started it. And that's what we all learned at the gala was the history of it, which was beautiful. And then they gave, you know, they showed the hospital or the, you know, where they, 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 the kids come into uh, when they're taken in. And it was like a hundred thousand kids or something that they've helped in 26 years. I think they've been doing this for 26 years. So we all pick a charity. And that was another thing is I didn't know what charity I wanted to give to. Well, there you go. There's the universe. Bam. What does the universe give me? A free ticket to the Frank Sinatra Gala and charity event, which is all about the the Barbara Sinatra Foundation and or the Frank and Barbara Sinatra Foundation, which is all about helping underprivileged children, which to me couldn't be a better cause. There's only two causes, I think. Well, any time for the homeless, of course, but then sick children or abused children or animals. But all the girls are given to the animals, so I'm going to give to the kids. All the girls are given for the, uh, you know, the SPCA and, you know, the, you know, against PETA and all that stuff. The girls are taking care of that, so I'm going to donate to the underprivileged children. I hope I don't hurt my friend John Travolta's feelings because he has the Jet Foundation, uh, but I know he donates to that. Him and Kelly donate to that. And then my friend Olivia Newton-John, she's got the Wellness Foundation, and I thought about doing that one, but I just, and that's for women with breast cancer, and those are very important causes too. And maybe at a point in my life when I'm a millionaire, I will, uh, you know, I'll donate to more than one charity. But uh, for right now, I'm pretty sure that mine's going to be the Barbara Sinatra Foundation, and I'm actually probably going to try to take my first donation directly into the hospital or to their to their facility because they've invited you to come by and check it out and and get a tour of it and meet some of the kids and uh, that's what I want to do and that's where I want my sue money to go so anyway gosh we are over two hours I can't believe I talked that long well, that's actually kind of awesome because uh, I get kind of uh, self-conscious about just talking and thinking about what am I going to talk about and can I talk about and without making too many, uh, without, you know, losing my train of thought too many times and having to stop and, you know, edit or whatever. So this, uh, it just kind of flowed. The show kind of flowed. But uh, I do want to say that I am working on guests. I am going to work on guests. I'm hoping to have the Vicious Canids on. Um, like I said, we're going to be doing their music video. So they're all going to be out here on location in Joshua Tree. We're going to be shooting the video in the desert. And um, it's going to be a desert uh, shoot. If you haven't heard their song, California, uh, visit their website, The Vicious Canids. It's not The Vicious Canids. It's just Vicious Canids. That's Vicious K-I-N-I-D-S, Vicious Canids, uh, and uh, their music is all on the website, so just go to their music link, hit the music tab, and uh, go down and hit the song California, and that's going to be the song that we're going to be doing the video for, so super excited about that. Uh, I've got three houses booked, no, I'm sorry, I've got two houses booked for real estate, and then I've got a musician that I'm shooting on the 15th, Sunday the 15th of this month. 
So it's going to be a pretty good couple of months. We've got three shoots this month and then the music video next month. So, uh, you know, I love working. So hopefully, you know, I can keep the podcast. I don't, I don't think I'm ever going to leave it dormant like I did just did this last time, but it's one of those things like anything else. If you don't stay on top of it and if you don't do it and you kind of stop doing it and you procrastinate on it, then like every time I think, Oh, it's, it's so it's Wednesday. I need to do a podcast today for tomorrow. And then something would come up and I'm like, Oh, okay, well I'll just do it next Thursday. Then something would come up and then it's like, Oh, I'll just do it next Thursday. And that just turned into a snowball effect. And before I knew it, it's been 90 days before I've did a podcast and that's crazy. I shouldn't ever let it went that long. So, and then I was fighting with myself, you know, about the, the format of the show because, uh, you know, it was initially, you know, I was a little bit uncomfortable with what I was doing. I wasn't settled into it. So it was kind of douchey, kind of like the front intro that I did three months ago. That was kind of, you know, it was more about the quirkiness and stuff like that. And I've kind of changed my mind on that. You know what I mean? I'm just going to be who I am and, you know, just kind of let it flow and just, you know, give you my opinions and my thoughts. And, uh, I want to kind of, you know, try to inspire you guys, you know, to inspire you guys, because as artists, I will tell you another reason, you know, if we're keeping it real that I let the podcast uh, kind of lack is because I've just been uninspired lately. You know what I mean? Not photography wise, but just with, you know, extra stuff. You know, I just didn't have the want to do extra stuff. I'm working. I had so many images, you know, that I would have to, you know, I've shot three or four houses. The other thing about living out here is, um, I love it, you know, living out here in the desert compound. But the problem is, is LA is 130 miles away and I work in LA still all the time, but you know, more than half the time. So two weeks ago or a week and a half ago, I drove to LA in one week, five times. So over like close to a thousand miles, maybe what is that hundred it's 260 miles around trip. And I did it five times. So 260 times five is what that's how many miles I drove in five days. So, you know, I shouldn't be bitching and complaining about that because, you know, um, my good buddy, Dave Newell, you know, he's a photographer, but he just signed on to be a long haul truck driver. So he's driving across country, driving a thousand miles a day or a week or whatever. So, you know, I'm just being a big baby, but you know, it's still when I lived in Long Beach and had a studio and I woke up and I was at work, literally, I didn't even have to walk out the door. I had to walk out of my bedroom into the studio. Um, because it was a big live workspace. So, you know, it's, it's, it's been a transition. The other thing is the gas money's killing me. I spent $300 on gas, approximately $300 on gas money. I went out one night in Hollywood and spent a buttload of money. So, you know, now it's all, you know, and when I do that, then I have to try to get caught up. So, you know, it's just been hustle, 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 hustle. And when I'm hustling, I can't, I feel like I can't just stop and really dedicate the quality of time that I need to dedicate to do the podcast because I have so many other things on my mind. If I've got, you know, three clients images to edit, it's hard for me to sit down and spend this time and, you know, wrap my mind about just concentrating on the, um, the podcast. But fortunately that's one of the things, uh, you know, with the, uh, uh, I was looking for my, uh, notebook. Hold on just a second. 
it's uh sorry about that that's one of the things with the podcast or the uh, i'm sorry not the podcast my uh uh, my course that I'm doing that I was telling you guys about uh, is, you know, the talk, it's talking about focus, focusing on what you need to do, not procrastinating on stuff. And uh, I have a whole thing in notes in my notebook that I'm looking for. Yeah, my 67 steps, a whole page of notes I wrote down is uh, working on your awareness and your massive awareness for life. Focus on now, the awareness factor. So that was one of Ty's, um, in my first uh, step, in my 67 steps in the first day was one of the key, a couple of the key things that he talks about. And, uh, you know, everything that he talks about in his 67 steps is nothing but common sense and nothing that you couldn't find yourself. In all these books he's given you, he's read like over 2,000 books, you know, from Sam Walton's, uh, made in America or whatever it is. And, you know, to, you know, history books that are a hundred years old, he's read so many different books and he gives you these little key quotes and, and key pieces of information from each little book. And, uh, you know, and focusing on the now and focusing in your, you know, uh, becoming more aware, you know, and that's something that, you know, when I listen to him talk about, it's like, man, he's so right about that because I get so focused on right blinders on. I don't I am not aware of anything that's around me because I'm so focused on the task at hand that the whole rest of the world that's around me is just, I'm oblivious to it. And you shouldn't be like that because, uh, to be well-rounded and to be a good business person, you always have to know what's going on around you. And you've got to be able to multitask and be able to have more than one thing going on at a time. And so that's what I'm working on is, you know, uh, I always believe in having more than one source of income and or, or income stream, like I told you. So, uh, but I have to be better at juggling those. And that's kind of what I do is I make excuses, you know, like, oh, well, I have too many pictures to edit. So, well, the podcast is just going to have to wait. No, I need to, I need to focus. I need to focus and I need to work, uh, on my awareness and ways to fit things into my schedule. And believe me, there's been plenty of times, plenty of time that I could have done the podcast, but no. I procrastinated and I used an excuse. Oh, well, I'm just going to lay here for another hour because I still have all those pictures, you know, to edit. So I can't even do the podcast. It's just excuses. You know what I mean? And, you know, to live the good life, you can't be full of excuses. And that's what we all want. Even as photographers, if we're struggling artists, you know, if you're a struggling artist, if you're a struggling photographer, you still want to live the good life. You know, they say money's not everything, but money sure makes things a lot easier and, uh, getting paid for what you love to do. I don't think there's anything more rewarding than that. But the problem with us people in general is we don't want to put in the work. We want everything to be handed to us these days. We don't want to go out there and we don't want to make it happen. And I'm all about making it happen but sometimes I slip, you know what I mean? And I, and I get, you know, in the wrong state of mind, maybe I get in a funk or I don't know what it's called, but I just kind of lose my inspiration. And that's kind of the mindset I've been in for the last couple months, I guess. 
Uh, I think maybe a little bit it was the shell shock of the transition of being out here. I kind of used the podcast to begin with to like get me uh, to keep my mind off of the difference uh, moving from a huge city environment where all my friends were there, where I could walk out my door and there was literally 50 bars within a 15 mile walk. 50 restaurants, 50 different restaurants, 50 different bars, you know, with was all in a 10, 15 minute walk. I could walk anywhere. I could walk to Walmart. I could walk to the movie theater. I could walk to any bar, any beautiful restaurants from fast food to, I mean, from, you know, Jack in the Box to a beautiful sushi restaurant and wasabi or volcanoes for Asian food or steaks at 555 in downtown Long Beach where I lived. Everything was a 10 minute, 5, 10, 15 minute walk. And it's fun to walk, especially in a downtown area. So now I'm out here in the middle of nowhere on five acres of land. So to walk to the mailbox takes five minutes for my house. Literally, I'm not bullshitting you. It takes five minutes at least, maybe 10 to walk. It's probably 10 minutes because it probably takes five to walk there and five back because it's about 100 yards from the house, maybe 150, 200 yards from the house. So I'm in a little different environment and that's kind of what I was using. You know, I used the podcast for was to keep me, I think mostly it was distraction. It wasn't so much concentrating on the podcast and the quality and the content of the podcast. And, uh, you know, now that's where I'm at with it is I really want it to be, uh, I want it to be something of value. You know what I mean? I don't really want to do it if it's not going to be helpful for anybody. I want to try to help people, you know, um, I want to try to inspire people, help people and not just be a douchebag on a podcast. You know what I mean? Uh, and that was what I was struggling with because I couldn't find my inner self to really figure out exactly what I was doing with this podcast. It was just a challenge. You know what I mean? Uh, I can tell you if you set your mind to do something, fear is what controls us a lot of times. And fear is the reason we don't succeed because we're scared. We can't do it because we will fail. Failing is not a bad thing. People are so scared of failing, but failing is really not a bad thing because failing will teach you how to pick yourself up and teach you the lesson so you don't do that same mistake again and fail again. Hopefully, you should learn from your mistakes. And if you failed, there was a reason that you failed. There's a quote by Johnny Depp and it says uh, something to the effect like, you're not a real God. You're not a real hustler or you're not a real gangster uh, until you've lo- you've lost everything and built it back up again. And I can't remember exactly what the quote is, but it's something to that. that you're not a real, it's like a, not gangster, but I can't remember what the terminology was, but it's something to that effect. Like you're not a real hustler until, uh, or you're not a real G until you've lost it all and then got it back again. So, you know, and, and that's failure. You know what I mean? Uh, Ty Lopez talks about Donald Trump. Uh, he read Donald Trump's book and he was talking about, he walked past a homeless man in New York. Donald Trump did not Ty. Ty's not broke. Uh, and was never, I don't think he's, I mean, he was broke. He was living on a couch in his mom's in North Carolina at one time, completely broke. He said he had 40 something dollars in his account. So I kind of have, 
you know, similar story to that that I tell personal people that know me uh, about what happened to me when I first lost my job with mixed martial uh, with the mixed martial arts agency I used to work for, uh, MMA agents. So I kind of went through that same scenario. So I know where he's coming from. So that's why I really latched on to his story when he was telling it. But he was talking about Donald Trump and the and he read Donald Trump's book and he said that or he heard a quote or something by Donald Trump and he said uh, that Donald Trump was in New York and he had just found out or you know he was he was nine billion dollars in debt and he remember walking down the sidewalk and he looked over and Donald saw a homeless person sitting beside a building and. He, you know, it didn't, he didn't think about walking up and giving him any money or anything. He just said he looked at that person and realized to himself, like, holy shit, like I'm $9 billion poorer than that guy. And what did Donald Trump do? He picked himself up and he got himself out of debt. He worked hard. He focused. Uh, he was aware of his situation and he got back up on the horse and pulled himself out. Now he's got a damn reality TV show where he tells people, you're fired. And it's a tagline now that he's known for. He wants to trademark it, I think. Uh, you know, so that's what you just have to do. And as a photographer, as an artist, you're always can be doubting yourself. I know several other photographers, friends of mine that, you know, they get into that self-doubt and, you know, one minute they think they're a rock star and the next minute they don't, you know, they're thinking about selling their camera that they just don't think they're good enough. And you know, the one thing I can tell you, and it's funny because I've tell everybody this, uh, I've said it in the podcast before. And then I heard Ty say it the other day and I was like, Holy shit. I can't believe somebody else came up with that. That's my philosophy. But he says the same thing. If you want to be successful at anything, you have to be willing to invest 10 years. Where are you in your photography career? Two years, three, four, seven, you're going to need to be about 10 years in. It doesn't matter if you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, if you want to be an artist, a musician, it doesn't matter what you want to do. You need to invest about 10 years. The problem is, is everyone gives up. We're living in a society where everybody wants immediate success. They want instant gratification. They don't want to wait. We know we're very impatient these days. You know, hell, people start screaming if they're at the McDonald's line and the McDonald's people are taking too long. Not that you should be eating at McDonald's, but I'm just using that as a as an example. So, you know, if you're an entrepreneur, you look around and you think of what you want to do. And for hopefully the most of the people that's listening to this program are photographers or they want to be photographers or they're artists or, you know, and the one thing I can tell you is stay the course, stay the course. Don't give up, move forward. You're going to have setbacks. You're going to have failures. Everybody does. Everybody does. You know, uh, Bill Gates started his entrepreneurship when he was like 12 years old. And he didn't become successful until he was 30 or a billionaire until he was 30. Okay. Well, that was pretty young to be a billionaire, but he had put in a lot of time. And then he says in that stretch of time, from the time he started working until he became a billionaire at 30, he never took one day off. He says not one. 
Now, whether that's true or not, I don't know, but I mean, it definitely could be. You know what I mean? The man's a workaholic. And it's not necessarily a bad thing being a workaholic if you have your eye on the prize. And that's, you know, with photographers, and I have been guilty of this myself, and that's why I'm taking this business course I'm taking is because I can have, I can become too egocentric and sitting back and thinking to myself, oh, well, I've done enough work. So, you know, people need to notice me. People need to come to me. You know, people should be seeing me. People should be seeing my work on my website. Somebody should be stumbling on my website and coming to me and calling to me. If that's what you're waiting on, I hate to break it to you. You're going to be waiting a long time because I can tell you in a year's time, I get, I can count on one hand how many of those people I get. Most of the people is, is that I get, it's literally because I'm putting in work. I'm out there networking. I'm calling people, you know, I'm getting out, going to events, uh, trying to get my name out there in certain circles. And those are the ways, those are the things that really make me successful. And then sometimes I get extroverted, you know, or I'm sorry, introverted. And I just don't want to network. I don't want to do any marketing. I don't want to be on the phone. I hate talking on the phone. So I just kind of want to sit back and hide in the corner and just wait for the phone to ring. And let me tell you, it can take a long time for that phone to ring. So you really got to be proactive. You really got to work on your marketing. And you really got to think if you're a photographer, you're working for yourself, you really got to think of yourself as an entrepreneur as well and a business person not just a photographer. And that's where a lot of photographers fail is because they're great photographers. They take amazing pictures, but they're a horrible business person. And if you heard my radio interview on Beetle Nut a couple of years ago that I was talking about earlier, uh, yeah, I, I, I touched base on the same thing. You really got to push forward as an entrepreneur. And that's why I'm taking the 67 day course is because I know all these things, but sometimes I still let myself you know, let my reactive mind take control and tell me I'm not worthy. And you have to be worthy. Um, you know, you have to be, you have to be worth it. Uh, are you, are you, uh, I'm looking at my notes. There was another, uh, to get, okay, there's a quote, Charles T. Manger uh, he has a quote, to get what you want, you have to deserve what you want. The world isn't crazy enough place to reward a bunch of under, under-deserving people. So you have to ask yourself that. Do you deserve what you want? Do you? And a lot of you probably don't. And if you haven't put in the work, if you haven't put in the time, then you probably don't deserve to be successful yet. So put the time in and, you know, and, and get to that point where you deserve it. Uh, you know, that it sounds kind of crass, but I mean, I don't know what example to use there. Of, you know, uh, it's kind of like, uh, I don't know, a college student. You know what I mean? You're not going to graduate as a freshman. You know, you may be the most brilliant kid in the school. You may be the smartest kid in the school your freshman year. You may be smarter than all the, you know, all the upperclassmen. Or, you know, if you, if you, if you look at a high school kid, the ninth grade, your ninth grade, the smartest kid in school is in the ninth grade in high school. Smarter than, he does better on all the tests, the SATs or whatever, than all the other kids. He's got a higher GPA, everything. 
So should he just automatically graduate? Well, every now and then that does happen with like a gifted genius. You know, they bounce them through. But most of the time, no, you still have to work. You have to put your time in and you have to deserve it. So when he walks through that, you know, when he walks down the stage and gets that diploma, does he deserve it? He does at that time. Does he deserve it before he puts the time and the work in and the effort, even though he's brilliant? No, he's still got to put the work in. He's still got to go through the steps. And I'm telling you, 10 years is a magic number. If you've been doing what you're doing for 10 years and you've put your heart and your soul into it and you're still not successful at it, I would give it two more years. And if it's not there and you're not happy with what where you're at with it, if you're still struggling with it, then you might start letting it taper off a little bit. But I would take one more year, the 12th year, and really push, give it everything. If you got to sell everything to just put everything into it, that's what I would do. And then at the end of the year, if it's not there, it's not ever going to be there. So maybe you get a job or something or whatever. I don't know. Uh, but if you're working for yourself as an entrepreneur, as a photographer, the one thing I could say is stay the course. Just keep moving forward and uh, put your time in. The last thing I'm going to touch base on is I offended a couple of people. Uh, Kevin Camp, I think I might have offended him. He didn't say anything about it. But I got a couple of messages from photographers and kind of talked them through what I, what I was thinking on Facebook uh, through Messenger. Uh, in the group, in the Photo Junkie group, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I don't know, I was being cynical of myself that day. Um. I can't remember exactly what happened, but I was being cynical myself that day. And, uh, we were talking about, um, professional photographers. Oh, I remember what it was. Kevin Kemp made a statement about models and something about, oh, these models, you know, that, uh, oh, we were, what brought it up was one of the photographers in there, Rolando Gomez, who's a brilliant glamour photographer. Uh, he owns the website Garage Glamour. And he owned that website back in the late 90s when I was really getting hard and heavy in the game. That was the only website on the internet for glamour photographer, for, you know, where, where you could learn anything. It was a whole website dedicated to teaching you stuff. And um, this was back before, you know, I had a set of old Novatron strobes at that time in a pack. And uh, I didn't really even know how to use them. So, I mean, I was... I didn't even get them out when I was trying to shoot stuff because I didn't know what I was doing with them. I didn't know how they worked. I mean, they had a, you had, I ended up having to get a slave sync eye that plugged into the, uh, into the pack so I could trigger it remotely. And, uh, then I had to have a flash unit on, I mean, I had to have a flash on my camera. Uh, but before that it was dragging around a sync cord and I didn't even know exactly how the sync cord worked. So I was very intimidated by those old strobes. And then once I figured it out, I was like, oh my gosh, what was I, what was I worried about? These things are easy, but I was terrified of them. You know, I'd get them out and set them up, but I didn't know what I was doing. So I would not get them out if I was working with a model or something back in those days. Plus I was doing everything by the seat of my pants. I really didn't know everything I was doing. I was, you know, uh, I was apprenticing kind of under another photographer, but 
Uh, it wasn't a full-time gig or anything like that, but I was trying to learn as much sponge-wise, trying to be a sponge, learn as much as I could from a couple other local photographers in Dallas uh, who let me, you know, work on a couple of their shoots. Uh, but anyway, so uh, it, it initially started out because one of the girls, the girl Rolando's muse, girlfriend, uh, is sitting on a horse covering her breast up, her bare breast with both of her hands, which as if you're a photographer, you know, probably know that's referred to as a hand bra. And girls have been doing hand bras since the 60s, 70s, 80s. It's natural for a girl to cover her boobs up with her hands. Even your wife or your girlfriend or any female, if you walk in on them and they don't have a shirt on usually and they you startle them, they'll it's human nature for them to cover their boobs up with their hands. So you see a lot of photographs with girls using a hand bra, especially if you want to put the photos on Facebook. So anyway, that kind of started a little debate because, you know, a couple of photographers go, oh, why is she doing the hand bra? That's so cheesy looking you know, or whatever. And, you know, so that started a little debate. And then um, one of the photographers said something to the effect like, well, it's not really the hand bra I have a problem with. The problem I have is, you know, uh, just every girl off the street is throwing up a hand bra over their bare boobs and they think their boobs, uh, make them, you know, make her something and, you know, make them something. And, you know, they, they think putting their hands over their boobs automatically makes them a model. Basically saying there's a lot of models out there that don't put, you know, that have no business, being models and that is an absolutely true statement there's probably nine out of ten or i wouldn't say nine out of ten but seven out of ten models i see on facebook are not model material and in the world of social media they're models but before social media they would not have been models um but now everybody can just proclaim I'm a model and everybody can proclaim i'm a photographer and that's what we were talking about so you get all the People that just, okay, I'm a model. I just have to find a photographer. So you have budding photographers that are just looking for models. And all of a sudden, I'm a model. I'm a photographer. It's kind of the way it works. And uh, so you have a ton of people out there calling themselves photographers that have no business. But hopefully you're listening to this podcast and you're moving forward and you're going to get to the point where you deserve to really call yourself a photographer. But you should be an amateur photographer. You should not be pushing for that pro label. In my opinion, this is only my opinion. You should not be using the word pro photographer, professional photographer. If you haven't been shooting for at least a couple of years, I would used to uh, 10 years ago. I would say five years minimum before you call yourself a professional photographer today. uh, You know, it's, it's, it's still iffy, but here, here's the difference is even if you're calling yourself a professional photographer, most of the professional photographers in my mind, I don't acknowledge them in my mind as professional photographers. And this is where I piss people off because literally the truth is, is most photographers today that are labeled them, labeling themselves as professional photographers, they have not, um, they, uh, Jeez, love it. Love it. Lost my train of thought. Most professional photographers today, um, or to me, are you know I I don't see them as professional, or or the it, it comes down. Uh, 
making funny noises because I'm trying to, to get my thoughts right here. And I'm trying to say this and trying to be somewhat politically correct because I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings. And I'm probably going to because most professional or most photographers that are billing themselves as professional photographers have another job. Right? Are you listening to this? Are you a full-time photographer? Are you making 80 to 90% of your income doing photography? Are you a professional photographer or are you a professional insurance salesman? Because that's where, you know, this, this kind of, this is where it came from because I said, well, you know, to me, a professional photographer is somebody who's, you know, a full-time photographer. You know what I mean? And, and, and that's, that's my definition of a photographer, a professional photographer is you do photography for a living. No, you're not an engineer or you're not a, a, a lawyer or you're not, um, you know, an insurance salesman or you're not a, um, whatever you are and doing photography on the weekends or when you have time to shoot and not doing paid shoots and, that to me is a definition of a professional photographer. You're in the business of photography. You're not doing it for the fun of it. If you're doing it for the fun of it, you're a hobbyist. And to me, that's not a professional photographer. And I was a hobbyist photographer for seven, eight years before I ever even thought about becoming a professional or even billing myself as a professional. I mean, even in 1999, I was getting paid for weddings I was getting paid for weddings. I'd done weddings. I was getting paid for weddings and I was doing some model portfolio development. I was doing several different things. And to the, I still wasn't billing myself as a professional photographer. I said, you know, I'm an amateur hobbyist. I have an industry interest, you know, and I'm, I'm learning. I'm still learning. And I was, you know what I mean? Nowadays, People go buy a camera and they don't even know how to use it, but they're professional, you know, they put their social media, professional photographer, you know, their pictures are horrible and, but they're a professional photographer and you can do that. There's nothing that you can't, but in my mind, even if your work is brilliant, here's an, here, you know, this is what I had to explain to the people that message me. Even if you have brilliant work and you can be a hobbyist photographer and have absolutely brilliant work, but that still does, it's not the, it's not just the work. I mean, that's the basis of being a photographer is how technically sound your images are, how uh, much feeling, how much all these things that are in your image. Okay. I give you that. You may be a lot better photographer than I am. But you may be going to your nine to five job. So here's the difference. When I was an when I was a refrigeration salesman, when I was a fr- executive refrigeration salesman for automated eye systems in Dallas, Texas, I was a professional sales associate, professional sales associate. What I did was I went in every day and I concentrated on the business of selling ice machines, of selling refrigeration equipment, of selling package units for air conditioning, HVAC. I concentrated on all of that stuff because I was a professional sales associate for a refrigeration company. That was my job. That's what I concentrated on. When I went in for eight hours, that's what I lived and breathed from nine to five because I was professional and I was going to do my job. So I was an amateur photographer. 
Get it? Okay. Fast forward to 2003, when I started, around 2003, when I started calling myself professional photographer, well, I had lost my job, I had started learning web design, and I had started my own company, and then in 2001, my own company kind of started floundering and started going belly up. And it was a very lucrative company. I mean, I made very good money at one time. There was times when I'd make two or three thousand dollars in a couple of days. So it was some of the best money I've I've gotten there as a photographer too. But um, it was as a, on a photographer, it's never been as a consistent basis as it was then. Because if I literally made fifteen hundred dollars in a week or twelve hundred, I was depressed because I didn't have a very good week. So I was doing very fairly well for myself, I thought. You know, there's a lot of people out there making a lot more money than that. But that was enough that made me happy when, when I would make, you know, $3,000 in a couple of days. But I was traveling literally 300 days a year. I was always gone, always on the road, always missing stuff from my family. But at the time, I really thought it was worth it because I was making a lot of money. And at the time, during those days, that was the most important thing to me was money and uh, my health times have changed, but I still, you know, concentrate on money. It's just not near as important as it was at those times. I would never sacrifice uh, as much family time as I did. Uh, My kids sporting events and things like that, that I never should have missed that stuff. But anyway, um, what I'm saying is, you know, when you're going to your nine to five job and let's, let's say you're a photographer and you consider yourself a professional photographer. And it's all left up to interpretation as, as well. So that's what I tried to explain as well. Just because my definition is, di- you know, it's all up, you know, somebody else has a completely different definition of what a professional photographer is than what I do. And I'm not saying I'm right. I'm saying this is my definition and how I base my definition as a professional photographer is because I didn't call myself a professional photographer until I met this criteria. What is the criteria? The criteria is this. It's I'm in the business of photography. So today I was working on photography stuff. Uh, Monday, a couple of days ago, I didn't get out of bed. I stayed in bed all day. That's one of the perks of working for yourself, being an entrepreneur and working for yourself and building your own business and running your own business. I did not get out of bed, but I got tons of stuff done and I booked two photo shoots and I was literally on the phone and the computer in the bed all day long working things, uh, you know, getting things done and, uh, you know, talking to clients, you know, stuff like that. And it was Monday. Okay. Well, let me ask you this. If you have your full time job, let's, I don't know, what do you do? Let's say you're a car salesman. All right. Um, so you go to your car sales job. Okay, well, while you're on the, your boss's clock, are you working the business of photography or are you working your car sales job? So on Monday, when I'm booking shoots, when I'm scheduling photo shoots, when I'm calling and I'm talking to clients at, uh, you know, I got up at six o'clock in the morning. I was on the phone by nine. Uh, I got off the phone around noon. I ate, got back on the phone. Uh you know, uh, was emailing people, getting emails back, answering emails for quotes. Uh, that's the business of photography. That's being a professional photographer is running a photography business. You know, 
That's what most people don't understand. The taking the photos, that's fun. That's the fun part of photography. That's the reward for all of the hard work that you put in. If you're just playing, you know, models are, you know, you're on model mayhem recruiting models or, you know, somebody's sending you models and you're shooting models and they're leaving and you're going home and then going to work the next day, you know, and editing, you know, at work and sending a model the picture, a picture or two and, you know, that's playing. That's not being a professional photographer. You're just a hobbyist. You're just enjoying the hobby of photography. And that's where I think most of us start. And there's nothing wrong with that. But if you're going to be a professional photographer, then you need to be in the business of photography. And you can't really do that working a full-time job, can you? I mean, let's look at it like this. You're, let's, you're a professional photographer. I'm a professional photographer. But let's say you are a maintenance guy at the mall, right? Okay, so you've got a web or you've got your website up there with your phone number on it. Okay, well you're in uh, Dillard's, changing up on a ladder, changing a light bulb, and somebody's calling your phone trying to book a photo shoot. What are you gonna do? You're gonna jump off the ladder and run back to the office and try to hurry up and get this number and talk to the, talk to your client. And you know, is that what you're doing? Are you scrambling around? Okay. Well, if that client calls me more than likely, I'll be able to interact with them in a professional manner, get all the pertinent information. If we need to set up a face-to-face meeting for that afternoon or the next day, because they're high inclined, hopefully, or something like that. Maybe I need to take them out to, you know, out to dinner and smooth them a little bit. Uh, talk about the logistics of what they want. Is it how big a budget they have? Are we going to have a creative, a creative director for this shoot? You know, exactly what are they looking for, for their brand? That's the business of photography. That's what professional photographers do. It's not playing around with models. You see a lot of model photography on my website. A lot of those models paid me. I think a lot of people are in the impression that, that, you know, they're all, you know, I'm just playing around with models too. No, a lot of those models I paid some of them and some of them paid me, but usually money exchanged hands. If they were professional models, I paid them. If they were amateur, amateur aspiring professional models, a lot of them paid me. And that's the way the industry works. And then, you know, most of these girls are you know, if they're aspiring models, they're not saying I'm a professional model. And all over Facebook, you see these girls billing themselves as professional models and they're doing free shoots with amateur photographers or hobbyist photographers. If no money's exchanging hand, that's not really a professional shoot. That's a test shoot. So a lot of the terminology, I think a lot of the, you know, and then it's like I said in the group, because I think I pissed a couple of people off and, you know, I had a couple of people message me, like I said, and, you know, I kind of killed the thread and the people that messaged me, you know, and then I, I actually made this post in the group is because like in LA, I can tell you if you're not an agency represented photographer, most of the highest in, uh, photographers in LA are represented by an agency. So, if you're not represented by an agency, you're an amateur. So I still get billed as an amateur all the time. I do not let it hurt my feelings because I'm not on that level. You know what I mean? If I'm in that circle of people, you know, if I'm in 
a circle where they use agency represented photographers and I'm not an agency represented photography. I can't get hurt, butthurt about that. It just means I got to work harder. I got to work harder and I got to try to get to a point where hopefully an agency someday will come calling. If it don't, then I just keep moving forward. You know, hopefully one day I'll reach that level of professionalism where I will be an agency represented photographer. But I can tell you, I had a meeting with the editor of, of at People Magazine at Time Inc. before they sold a bunch of their magazines. And I went in and I, I sat down and I talked with her. And, uh, you know, we, we, we chatted for 45 minutes probably. And she basically told me, Rav, I would love to use you, but we use this certain agency and we use all the photographers for that agency. You know, the, the agency, they're covered, you know, they have the insurance and it's just, you know, we pull, we pull from that agency. And if you can get on with that agency, I'll use you, but I can't do it until your agency represented. And that is the nature of the beast. And so I ended up, you know, and it's the old saying, it's who, you know, not what, you know, that is crucial. That is key. Learn and figure out ways to find people that are influential to you who can help that will be in that who would help you, who would be interested in help you and go after those people and see if you can reach out to them. Most of them are going to close the door on you right away or just completely ignore you. Don't let that deter you. Keep going. Try to make your circle larger. My friend Daniel McSween, uh, he hasn't been a photographer near as long as I have, but that man is a networking genius. He knows everybody in the fashion industry. That's his interest is fashion. I'm not a fashion photographer. I'm a commercial photographer. I don't have any aspirations to be a fashion photographer. I love fashion photography. I love looking at it. It's beautiful, but I'm a commercial photographer. I want to be shooting brands and you know, and, and that kind of stuff, you know, borderline fashion, you know, if it's casual fashion, fashion, but not high fashion stuff, I'm not really a high fashion photographer, but I would love to shoot like Louis Vuitton luggage. You know, I've shot Louis Vuitton luggage, you know, uh, and stuff like that. That's the kind of commercial stuff I want to be doing. That's the kind of fashion I want to be doing. Uh, Breitling watches, Louis Vuitton, uh, you know, car, you know, anything like that, you know, anything commercial wise. I'm not really a high fashion photographer, but Daniel McSween, uh, he's on my Facebook page. Amazing guy, sweetest guy ever. And a mark and not a marking, but a networking genius. He introduced me within, I, you know, went to Hollywood with him maybe two or three times max. And I'm, I literally left there knowing at least five key people in the fashion world, in the fashion business. And I was able to add contacts and add people to my, that it's, it's, they're totally in a whole other realm of photography that I concentrate on. But I love having a little look inside what they're doing. It's freaking awesome. But no, I'm not a, a fashion photographer. And by far, I'm not a professional fashion photographer. So you know, like what I said, it's all left up to interpretation, but I think, you know, that's one of the things that can be frustrating about social media is it's very easy for somebody just to, you know, you can basically build your own MySpace page. I mean, my Facebook page. And if you can design a banner, 
you can get a banner design and put it up there and you're in business as long as you got a camera. It doesn't matter if you know how to use it or not. So a lot of people are just hacks with cameras. They're not really professional photographers. Uh, you know, Kevin Kemp made this statement in the group and I didn't try to argue with him because this was true. He said, you know, you don't have to be a full-time photographer to be, to have work that's as good as people that are making a career of it. That is absolutely true. That is true. And let me tell you something. There are a lot of amateur hobbyist photographers out there that are better than us career photographers. There's a hundred for, there's thousands of photographers out there better than I am. But when it comes to the business of being a professional photographer, that I don't know about. I've been doing this a while. I'm not sure. And my, and my resume is pretty freaking long and it's got a pretty substantial client list and people that I've worked with. So your work may outshine mine, but let's both go in and interview for the meeting at the same time and see who walks away with it. Well, one thing you can't shoot because you're working Monday through Friday at your, at your, your, uh, what do they call it? Slave, uh, your, uh. Gosh, I can't, there's a nickname for that that I love. It's called your nine to five slave or something like that. But at your, at your regular job, you know, you have to work your regular job. So if they want the show done at Tuesday and the call time is, uh, 5am and we want to start shooting by nine when the sun's coming up or get the sunlight for golden hour, you're going to be going to work. You're not going to be able to go do the shoot unless you take off work, maybe take a vacation day. But what if it's a week shoot? You know what I mean? You see what I'm saying? You're not in the business of photography, so you have no business really calling yourself a professional photographer. But that's just my opinion. I know I probably pissed all of you off because everybody that's listening to this is probably a hobbyist photographer. But it's just food for thought. Don't, you know, the problem is, is there's so many people calling themselves professional photographers now that the people that like myself that are really doing this for a living, it's hard for us to, you know, get through the white noise because there's a whole white noise of bad photography out there. It's just noise. People posting up their stuff and it's not even technically even close to good. You know what I mean? And like Kevin Camp, for instance, he's, he has a full-time job. It's a great job. I don't know exactly what he does. Maybe he's an engineer, I think, or something. I don't know, but it's a good job. And he's an agent photographer, which means, you know, the his local agency just sends him models. You can do that here in LA too. And there's tons of guys I know that do that. And they don't even, you know, all they do is the, the girls come in and, you know, he, they shoot them on the weekends or after they get off work or, you know, and they're just test shoots, you know, and the, the girls take the pictures back and they use them for their books or whatever. But it's not a, it's not really a full-time gig that you're going to make a living at. So it's not really the business of photography, but Kevin's work is beautiful. It's beautiful work. He does, he does a great work. Now, if he ever quit his job, his nine to fiver and started being a full-time photographer and running a studio, I think he's even got a studio now, but if he was running that studio all the time, booking shoots, uh, getting PO numbers, looking at budgets, you know, these are all the things that I have to look at, you know, how much budget do you have? Uh, what, what level of shoot, what level of production is this going to be for your photo shoot? Is this going to be a little $400 photo shoot where it's just me and you, 
and you get a couple of, uh, you get uh, three wardrobe changes, or is this going to be a $5,000 shoot where I get, uh, you know, I hire Nye as a creative director. We, uh, I hire Cindy Sin as hair and MUA. Uh, I bring in three or four assistants. I bring in a lighting guy, even maybe a director of photography to help me with things, you know, um, and then you have the editor of the magazine on set, you know, you just have a whole set full of people, you know, and I've had nine models in one day with probably 20 people. That's probably the largest shoot I've done. 20 people working set and then nine models and just me as a photographer. That is a professional photo shoot. And to coordinate all of that took two or three weeks of every day on the phone getting things together. We had to get fashion. We had to get accessories because it was for a jewelry line. The shoot was for a jewelry line. A lady of, of uh, that makes her that makes her own custom jewelry, but the girls had to have fashion that matched the jewelry. We had so we had to get a fa- uh, we had to uh, get a uh, oh my gosh I can't think of the name of it. Uh, I was just making a big thing about it a while back on uh, Facebook because we we had to get a fashion. We had to pull from a showroom to get clothing for the models that would match the jewelry. So we had to get a pull sheet. So we could uh, pull the items and, uh, you know, and then return them and all that stuff that you do when you're shooting some fashion stuff. And, um, you know, I mean, and that's the business of photography and that's what being a professional photographer is. It's the business of photography, in my opinion. And I know I've been up on my soapbox about this for 30 minutes now, but I just, I felt bad, you know, about it. And I beat myself up about it a little bit because I felt like I should have just kept my mouth shut. But, you know, I kind of wanted to reiterate or, you know, or give my definition of the reason I said that, because sometimes I say things just without thinking enough before I say them. So in this politically correct environment that we live in, we should all filter ourselves, I guess. And unfortunately, I'm a Sagittarius and uh, I was built with not the greatest filter. Plus, I'm from Texas and Texans always talking crap, saying stuff that we shouldn't. So anyway, I have done a Joe Rogan podcast for all of us Joe Rogan fans. Uh, you know, even I big fan of his before I've been, uh, you know, in the same circles he is in Vegas and stuff at, at, uh, fighters after parties and stuff. And, and, uh, I admire what he's done with his podcast and, uh, his podcast is usually three hours. And this one is almost three hours. And how I talked for three hours, I have absolutely no idea, but it just flowed. So I just let it go. And it is now 4.30 a.m. So it's been a long day for me. I'm going to go to bed, try to get at least four to six hours of sleep. And then I'll be back up and do it all again. So I'm going to go ahead and finally wrap this thing up. Hopefully, uh, we'll be having some guests on the show. I'm working on it. So uh, I've got the call in thing going on. So if you're a photographer listening to this and you have your professional photographer listening to this, or if you want to debate me on photography, you know, what a professional photographer is, whatever, uh, hit me up at ravholly at gmail.com. Uh, you know, or you can hit me up, you know, find me up Facebook, uh, sign up for, uh, my Sue. 
if you want to uh, be under, uh, if you want to let me be your influencer on Sue and be in my network, it's uh, tsu.co slash ravholly. And uh, that's your invite to Sue. Um, so that's about all we have for this show. I don't think I could fit anything. I hope we don't want to go four hours and we're literally like right at three hours. So looking for sponsorship for the podcast. So if you have anything that you want to, you know, you want to, I mean, it, I'll do a sponsorship for $10. I'll give you a, a holler and, and uh, a shout out for 10 bucks or whatever. It's no big deal or a $5. I have a discount. I mean, a, a donation thing button for $5 on one of my blogs. So if you want to donate $5 and you got something that you want to promote, I don't care if you're another photographer and you've got another shoot or if you're doing a workshop or whatever, um, let me know. And, uh, we will put you a spot on the show. And if you want a real commercial produced, we can do that. I can do that as well. So, uh, I can get you a regular commercial, you know, for whatever your product is. So anyway, until next week, I think I'm going to go ahead and throw this thing up with Podbean. I can do as long as I want. There's no, uh, limit on, you know, it's unlimited space. So I can do 10 hour podcast if I wanted. So I don't think I'm going to make it a habit of doing a three hour. (laughs) I actually want to keep it more down to 30 minutes to an hour. So maybe an hour and a half is the longest. So probably won't be too many of these three hour podcasts. So let me know what you think. If you think these are way too long, you think I'm getting way too long winded, let me know. Uh, If you have anything to any feedback, hit me up. But uh, uh, until then, we're going to be signing off. And uh, hopefully I got this thing back on track and we will see you back here next week same rav time same rav channel have a good day guys bye thanks for tuning in to image is everything we'll see you back here next week same rav station same rav channel this has been a rav media group presentation you are now exiting planet rav and can now return to your regularly scheduled programming